Hi, this is Gary Meese with the case against. There's been quite a bit happening in the uh, West Memphis 3 case over the last month, and I am frankly have been just sort of missing in action quite a bit of that time and for various reasons. Uh, I'm not going to get into explanations, uh, certainly not going to get into apologies for that, but uh, I am going to try to catch up a little bit today. Uh, what we had after months and months of conversations um, about uh, the retesting of DNA evidence in the case, and after the prosecuting attorney Cressman said way back and I think it was April that you know if they if the West Memphis 3 defense wants to have the evidence retested they need to file a petition with the court in other words they need to follow established legal procedures instead of the, this attempt to sort of work outside the bounds of the usual the usual uh, court proceedings uh, they need to file this petition well they finally got around to it on January 24th and uh, it, it, initially it's it, it's very weak and legal argumentation for the necessity of this uh, this retesting it goes over uh, the petition goes over uh, all the all the promises that allegedly were made by Ellington uh, as far as Scott Ellington the former prosecuting attorney about you know in, in retesting and so forth and uh, you know the thing is is uh, Keith Cressman the new prosecuting attorney isn't bound by any of the promises that uh, Scott Ellington made. Scott Ellington didn't seem bound by his own promises, but you know, the guy's a weasel. So what do you expect? He, uh, he's, he's a judge now and, uh, maybe he'll be a better judge than he was a prosecutor. I don't know. Uh, but he, uh, he, he left, you know, this matter just sort of hanging with the, you know, he just sort of led the West Memphis three supporters on to think that something was actually going to happen. And then nothing ever happened with it and basically shut them out. So that this is all well established. And, uh, and then we had the, the whole fiasco of Crestman stating that uh, to the defense that uh, some of the evidence may have gone missing or it was lost or misplaced or perhaps destroyed in a fire. And uh, so this went on for months with this, all this outrage on the internet from the supporters that uh, this is part of the, the so-called cover-up and part of the so-called corruption in, in the case. Though, I, you know, um, I've never really seen 
any really good documentation about what this corruption that supposedly occurred in this case would be. Uh, some mistakes were made uh, in the police investigation, which they generally tried to correct. Um, and uh, obviously, prosecutors, uh, some of their efforts at trial were less effective than, than others, other things that they tried as far as the presentation of the evidence. Um, Dale Griffiths being a notable example. Uh, but the, the so-called occult expert, which I think he's probably was probably reasonably reasonably knowledgeable about the occult, but he was, he was not a good witness. Uh, the only real function he actually served was to inform the uh, jurors about some aspects of, of occult belief that perhaps had some bearing on the case and certainly had some bearing on some statements that uh, Damien Eccles had made to prosecute uh, the police. And uh, so I guess he was, was perhaps slightly helpful in that way, but overall I would say his, his effect, the effect of his testimony was negative. It's certainly a public perception. So that was a mistake, but it's not corruption. It's just wasn't very didn't work out very well. Uh, we finally found out back in December that indeed the uh, DNA, uh, the, the evidence in the case had not been uh, lost. Supposedly some of it had been misfiled. We don't know what the details are on that. And among the items that supposedly were misfiled were the these all-important ligatures, basically the shoestrings that were used to bind the, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers, wrist to ankle. And then uh, that yielded the, the supporters' favorite piece of evidence for their current alternative, favorite alternative suspect, which would be Terry Hobbs, which is a, a hair that yielded some mitochondrial DNA that may or may not belong to, that may or may, may not be actual, uh, Terry Hobbs's actual mitochondrial DNA, may not be his hair. You know, it probably is. All three boys were in his house that afternoon. They've been in his house on a number of other occasions. One of them lived with him. So uh, secondary transfer is certainly a possibility. Uh, if we had ever, ever actually seen how the hair looked in, in terms of uh, how it was, you know, suppose it was bound up in the, the knots, but I've never seen a photo of that. Uh, we don't really know how it was bound up in there. Uh, you know, I think it might raise a legitimate question, but the, uh, as far as, well, how did the hair get in there like that? But, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities, including the fact that 
Uh, you know, it could. There's all sorts of possibilities with that. Uh, so, it certainly doesn't prove that he was involved in the murders in any in any way. And the ev the strongest evidence against that is not so much his own statements, but a combination of his own statements and uh, statements from David Jacoby and statements from other people who witnessed him during the search process that evening. And if you look at the totality of statements there, a lot of inconclusive times, but it, it's, it does, there does not seem to even be uh, the possibility that he had time to perform the killings, even if for some wild reason he was actually doing that. I mean, how, you know, Jacoby describes Hobbes uh, showing up at his house again and again, taking long, slow tours through the neighborhood, uh, looking for the boys during the time that they almost certainly were being killed. So unless you subscribe to some bizarre theories uh, about the disposition of the bodies and, uh, and that they were somehow deposited down a manhole cover or something, and then uh, somebody went back there late at night, finished the job and killed them and deposited them in this, uh, this little ditch, then... Uh, which I just find the whole all that to be totally absurd, uh, and there's no evidence of that. Uh, then you know, Hobbes is a suspect. It's just not. He's not a good suspect. He's not a feasible suspect. Plus, you have all this evidence against the West Memphis Three. You know, I've got now. I've gone off, gone off on one of my famous uh, tangents. Uh, so they found the ligatures, and they also—that's all they want to test now—is the ligatures. After all this talk about, we're going to test all the evidence. We're going to get some conclusive results from DNA testing, and we're going to prove who actually committed these murders. This is the rhetoric that was coming from Bob Ruff and from a number of supporters. And uh, Eccles, uh, you know, is tossing it out there that, you know, he's gonna prove it, he, that, that, that this act, these actions, or this testing is gonna exonerate him and all this. Uh, all they're gonna do is test the, 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 shoe, the shoelaces, basically. Uh, why? Why only the shoelaces? Well, you know, for one thing, there's probably a fairly good chance they're going to come up with somebody else's, either Terry Hobbs's DNA on there from uh, when he handled a shoelace or uh, somebody else's, some other parent's DNA from when they tied one of the boy's shoes or, or some unknown DNA profile that they may not be able to tie to anybody. There's a good possibility of that. I think there's also just a very good possibility that we're, we're going to have one of these cases where 
the guilty parties demand DNA testing and it comes back and it shows that the guilty parties are the guilty parties. Those cases are not unusual. Uh, when you have somebody as arrogant as Damien Eccles, then you have a, a strong, strong possibility that he's simply going to, you know, roll the dice and hope that somehow his DNA isn't going to show up on there and somebody else's DNA will, and that'll make them look really bad and make him look really good. But the fact is, is if, if none of the The fact is, is if none of the DNA of the West Memphis Three shows up any of the shoelaces, it does raise a question: Why, why not? Why wouldn't some of their DNA show up in the shoelaces? Well, you know, again, uh, lack of DNA doesn't prove anything other than lack of DNA. Uh, seems it seems like with the quality of extraction with the MVAC testing, if it's as good as they say, it does seem as if that would yield some results that if the, uh, results that if the West Memphis, any of the West Memphis three handled the shoelaces, then it seems like there's a really strong likelihood that their DNA would show up on the shoelaces. Um, so it does raise a question, why would they push for this? Well, I, I think they're they're pushing for this partially because I don't think they think they're going to be successful. They're also using this to raise money, raise support, uh, uh, get the supporters all wound up. And if their DNA does show up, then they can claim that the police uh, planted the evidence, you know, very much as supporters of D Stephen Avery have claimed in his case. So, DNA, you know, DNA is uh, a very good uh, forensic tool, but uh, <coughs> we've already seen how that can be spun around, and um, suddenly, uh, even when the guilty party's DNA actually shows up on a relevant piece of evidence, the supporters of Whichever, in whichever case can claim, oh, well, that they didn't really leave it there. The police planted it. Uh, there's been no evidence up to this point that the police have planted any kind of evidence in the West Memphis Three case, just, just to be clear about that. Uh, the petition on the January 24th petition uh, makes a pretty good argument that the MVAC uh, collection method is a very effective method, and it does seem to be that way. Maybe a little too effective, as we'll, as we'll see as we go on with this. Um, what we don't what we don't address are in, in this petition is the utter lack of timeliness and seeking a relief. Uh, there's a three-year limitation. Uh, and 
it's been ten it's been over ten years since they pleaded guilty. MVAC was again we'll get into some of this about how new is MVAC. Well the defense is not not just here but in the later argumentation. They the defense is arguing that it's it's well established as a scientific method in the court system, but it's very hard to find cases in which, I'm not saying they don't exist, they do exist, but it's hard to find many cases in which MVAC collection has played a significant role. Um, uh, is it, uh, is, does Arkansas regard it as a valid method of DNA in extraction? Uh, suitable that would new enough to justify retesting evidence in a case that's basically been closed for 10 years. It seems, to my mind, it seems unlikely that the court system would go for this. Uh, we do know that uh, as early as 2012, uh, the Insiders in the forensic world understood that MVAC was a, a very good method of extracting DNA. Uh, so, how new it was, so, so it was new then, but it was already known, a known quantity. Was it known at the time, was it known as a good method of DNA extraction at the time of the guilty pleas in August of 2011? It's not clear. It really isn't. I've, tr I've tried to find solid information on this. MVAC's own web pages don't yield really good information as far as timelines. Uh, tried to find court cases that uh, relevant court cases and they all come up uh, later than 2011 but uh, well, it would seem to have been a known quantity as early as 2012 enough to show up in official forensic reports uh, to uh, you know, research type uh, presentations. Uh, so, you know, it was known. And so a lot of it depends on what's presented to the courts and, and, and how it's presented to the courts. Uh, anyway, it's a very weak, very weak argument uh, initially from the defense, um, basically sort of whining again about the missing evidence and uh, how they've been mistreated by a prosecuting attorney and so forth. It's not, they don't really address what to me is the primary issue with this whole thing, which is that uh, Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Skelly all signed away their rights to petition the courts in this matter in 2011. If evidence that had if there had been some significant new development, such as actually missing evidence, evidence that was actually missing prior to the guilty plea, uh, I can see how that, I, I think that could open a door to uh, justify a, a petition for another look at the case. But, you know, the fact is, is 
The evidence has been there all along. Some of it apparently was misfiled somehow. What's the details on that? We don't know. Uh, presumably they'll get to it into it in the courts, but who knows exactly. Now, what followed after that was um, the reply from the prosecution. Keith Cressman. Cressman had 30 days to reply. He didn't take 30 days to reply. He replied in Let's see, when did he filed it on February 8th? Part of what uh, the we get into one of these legal arguments here that I won't pretend to be able to say who's right and who's wrong, uh, but uh. A, Part of Cressman's argument against the petition is that, that it was filed in the wrong court, that the defendant's murder conviction was uh, entered in Craighead County. Uh, they filed this petition in Crittenden County. Therefore, that's a fatal error in terms of legal proceedings uh, because the any hearing must be held in the court in which the conviction was entered. Uh, and uh, further, he further argues because the habeas corpus argument does, isn't really an available remedy because uh, you have to have somebody in custody to bring to court to have a habeas corpus uh, action. And nobody's, nobody's sitting in jail in West Memphis uh, three case have nobody's been there for 10 years now the defense's response that I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but the defense responds that uh, the court the uh, petition was filed properly because the initial murder conviction by jury was in Craighead County, but uh, the actual guilty pleas were made under the jurisdiction of Crittenden County. Therefore, it, it was filed and the, their petition was filed in the proper court. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not an attorney and I don't know how, I don't, pretend to understand all the legal ramifications of that. Initially, it looked like a really dumb move for Binka, Patrick Binka, the def main defense attorney involved in this at this point, to uh, file a petition in the wrong court. Uh, maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. I have a feeling Cressman knows what he's talking about. I don't have... Binka doesn't seem to be highly competent in this area, or maybe he's faking incompetence because he really doesn't really want this thing to move forward. It, it's just a PR stunt, which is more what I believe than anything else. It's a PR stunt. All of this.
Uh, now, it goes on, uh, it goes on to say that uh, there's some other things that have to be determined, whether MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method and whether it violates the requirement that the physical evidence in violent of offense cases must be preserved. Uh, I think when we get to the generally accepted scientific testing method, I think that's a, a, a fairly high bar uh, in the Arkansas courts because um, it, it's it's new, but it's not that new. It's just you know it's it hasn't been used a great deal there, if at all. So uh, it really hasn't been tested in the courts, as far as I know and can determine. Um, which means that it's is it generally accepted or not? Uh, it's 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 a question that the court will have to resolve. I, and I, I don't know which way the court would go. I would tend to think that they would say, mm, you know, we don't really know that much about this. The bigger problem to me seems to be the requirement that the physical evidence and violence, it violates, the use of this technique would violate the requirement that physical evidence and violent offense cases must be preserved. Uh, by its very nature, MBAC seems to be so thorough that basically collects all this DNA evidence and uh, it's, it's a one-shot deal. You get all this DNA result, but you don't, you can't go back and redo that again and come up with, uh, uh, come up with a bunch of new DNA to be tested under some sort of new technique, which may or may not exist in the future. So, and let's, let's presume that, per, that DNA uh, testing and so forth is continued to go is going to continue to be more sophisticated uh, I don't know what the limits of the science are and I suspect they're coming close to the practical limits but uh, uh, you know I'm again I don't know that for an absolute fact <coughs> I just haven't heard anything particularly new lately uh, concerning wow, we've got some new way of testing DNA that's really going to yield new results. It's basically, uh, basically A is A and B is B and C and C, and here it is. Cressman's um, Petition uh, answer says the general case law search reveals only two cases in which courts mention MVAC, and neither cases case discusses where MVAC uses scientifically sound methods consistent with forensic practices. Nor does defendant provide proof that MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method. Until defendant provides this proof, the, the, case, the court can't grant his request. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is it. Uh, Benka has not really provided a lot of really great information that the court can go on to make a determination about whether MVAC is a valid testing method. Uh, 
you know, it's, it, I don't, I, is the courts expected to do its own research about this? I think that they would to a point, but uh, apparently there's not a lot of research results out there. So, uh, you know, it doesn't look good in that respect. The other thing is, is you know, and we get into this thing that the, this is interesting in that the, the the state requirement is that physical evidence must be preserved <coughs> in uh, in these violent offenses, offenses, these violent offense cases. Uh, if back is so thorough it basically doesn't preserve the DNA evidence uh, just by the very nature of its extraction method. Uh, the irony here of course is that the, what the defense has been making this big deal about how the, the um, police and the prosecutors and so forth didn't preserve the evidence. They were making a big deal about this for months and months and months and what turns out that they did preserve it but uh, prosecutors basically flipping back that argue, argument on uh, on the defense and saying, you know, this argument about preservation of evidence still holds, even when it doesn't run in your favor. Uh, further complicating this is, you know, you've got two other defendants in this case, two other uh, convicted in this case that are really they're no longer defendants anymore. They are the convicted, uh, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miskelly Jr., who gave lip service and not in a real enthusiastic way to uh, Bob Bob Ruff's pleas to uh, approve retesting. And uh, Miskelly's been silent on that since, as usual, and uh, Baldwin's been noticeably quiet uh, for the most part about all of this. <coughs> for somebody who's supposedly fighting for justice down in Austin, Texas, uh, he, in his own, and supposedly fighting for his own case, he really hasn't, he's really not been very uh, pushy about he hasn't been the least bit aggressive at all about whether this is going to go. He wants this done as far as this retesting. I think he may know that the results may not be what he had, we would hope for. He would hope for. Not I, I wouldn't hope for. The uh, Except when it, this is what the code says, except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing to demonstrate the person's actual innocence if the proposed testing is reasonable in scope, uses scientifically sound methods, and is consistent with accepted forensic practices. It's not clear that the what the what the uh, defense is seeking is reasonable in scope not clear that it uses scientifically sound methods and it's not clear that it's consistent with accepted forensic practices. Uh, Cressman argues that failure to uh, preserve this evidence is in itself a crime and that the MVAC appears to violate this requirement. 
Is this all true? Is it, is it a one-shot deal, as he puts it? I, I, I think so. Uh, the defense is going to come back and say, well, yeah, it's, yeah, but we're not real, you know, we're gonna, we were going to test everything, and now we're going to be very selective about what we test. Uh, I can, you know, I can almost see them just testing uh, one shoelace that just happens to be a shoelace that uh, where there was a hair found that may or may not belong to Terry Hobbs, and they're just sort of hoping that maybe none of the West Memphis Three's DNA shows up on that, and maybe just maybe some. DNA from Terry Hobbs shows up on that so that they can make a big deal about uh, Terry Hobbs being the, the clear suspect in the case for, you know, for the next 20 years. Uh, uh, you know, I can, I can almost see that happening. Uh, if they're not going to test even all the shoelaces, then we're really going to have a problem. I'm going to have a real problem with taking any of this very seriously but I don't think there are any retestings going to happen, to be clear. <coughs> and the defendant must show that the proposed testing's new evidence would establish actual innocence. Testing. All right, this is Gary Meese with the case against... been quite a bit happening in the uh, West Memphis 3 case over the last month and I am frankly have been just sort of missing in action quite a bit of that time and for various reasons. Uh, I'm not going to get into explanations and I'm certainly not going to get into apologies for that but uh, I am going to try to catch up a little bit today. Uh, what we had after months and months of conversations um, about uh, the retesting of DNA evidence in the case and after the prosecuting attorney Crespin said way back and I think it was April that you know if they if the West Memphis Three defense wants to have the evidence retested, they need to file a petition with the court. In other words, they need to follow established legal procedures instead of the, this attempt to sort of work outside the bounds of the usual the usual uh, court proceedings. Uh, they need to file this petition. Well, they finally got around to it on January 24th. And uh, it, it, initially, it's it, it's very weak in legal argumentation for the necessity of this uh, this retesting. It goes over, uh, the petition goes over uh, all, the, all the promises that allegedly were made by Ellington uh, as far as Scott Ellington, the former prosecuting attorney, about, you know, in, in retesting and so forth. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is uh, Keith Cressman, the new prosecuting attorney, isn't bound by any of the promises that uh, 
Scott Ellington made. Scott Ellington didn't seem bound by his own promises, but, you know, the guy's a weasel. So what do you expect? He uh, he's, he's a judge now, and uh, maybe he'll be a better judge than he was a prosecutor. I don't know. Uh, but he, uh, he, he left, you know, this matter just sort of hanging with the, you know, he just sort of led the West Memphis three supporters on to think that something was actually going to happen. And then nothing ever happened with it and basically shut them out. So that this is all well established and, uh, and then we had the, the whole fiasco of Cressman stating that uh, to the defense that uh, some of the evidence may have gone missing or it was lost or misplaced or perhaps destroyed in a fire. And uh, so this went on for months with this, all this outrage on the internet from the supporters that uh, this is part of the, co the so-called cover-up and part of the so-called corruption in, in the case. So, I, you know, um, I've never really seen any really good documentation about what this corruption that supposedly occurred in this case would be. Uh, some mistakes were made. Uh, the police investigation which they generally tried to correct. Um, and uh, obviously prosecutors, uh, some of their efforts at trial were less effective than, than others, other things that they tried as far as the presentation of the evidence. Um, Dale Griffiths being a notable example. Uh, but the the so-called occult expert, which I think he's probably was probably reasonably reasonably knowledgeable about the occult, but he was he was not a good witness. Uh, the only real function he actually served was to inform the uh, jurors about some aspects of of occult belief that perhaps had some bearing on the case, and certainly had some bearing on some statements that. Uh, Damien Eccles had made to prosecute uh, the police. And uh, so I guess he was, was perhaps slightly helpful in that way, but overall I would say his, his effect, the effect of his testimony was negative. It's certainly public perception. So that was a mistake, but it's not corruption. It's just wasn't very, didn't work out very well. Uh, we finally found out back in December that indeed the uh, DNA, uh, the, the evidence in the case had not been uh, lost. Supposedly some of it had been misfiled. We don't know what the details are on that. And among the items that supposedly were misfiled were the, these all important ligatures, basically the shoestrings that were used to bind the, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers wrist to ankle. And uh, 
and that yielded the the supporters favorite piece of evidence for their current alternative favorite alternative suspect which would be Terry Hobbs which is a, a hair that yielded some mitochondrial DNA that may or may not belong to that may or may not be actual uh, Terry Hobbs's actual mitochondrial DNA may not be his hair you know it probably is all three boys were in his house that afternoon they've been in his house on a number of other occasions one of them lived with him so uh, secondary transfers certainly a possibility uh, if we had ever ever actually seen how the hair looked in, in terms of uh, how it was, you know, suppose it was bound up in the, the knots, but I've never seen a photo of that. Uh, we don't really know how it was bound up in there. Uh, you know, I think it might raise a legitimate question, but the uh, as far as well how did the hair get in there like that but you know there's all sorts of possibilities including the fact that uh you know it could have, there's all sorts of possibilities with that um so it certainly doesn't prove that he was involved in the murders in any in any way and the ev the strongest evidence against that is not so much his own statements, but a combination of his own statements and uh, statements from David Jacoby and statements from other people who witnessed him during the search process that evening. And if you look at the totality of statements there, a lot of inconclusive times, but it, it's, it does, there does not seem to even be uh, the possibility that he had time to perform the killings, even if for some wild reason he was actually doing that. I mean, how, you know, Jacoby describes Hobbs um, showing up at his house again and again, taking long, slow tours through the neighborhood, uh, looking for the boys during the time that they almost certainly were being killed. So unless you subscribe to some bizarre theories uh, about the disposition of the bodies and, uh, and that they were somehow deposited down a manhole cover or something, and then uh, somebody went back there late at night, finished the job and killed them and deposited them in this, uh, this little ditch, then, uh, which I just find the whole, all that to be totally absurd. Uh, and there's no evidence of that. Uh, then, you know, Hobbs is a suspect. It's just not, he's not a good suspect. He's not a feasible suspect. Plus you have all this evidence against the West Memphis Three. You know, I've got now. I've gone off, gone off on one of my famous uh, tangents. Uh, so they found the ligatures. 
And they also, that's all they want to test now is the ligatures. After all this talk about we're going to test all the evidence, we're going to get some conclusive results from DNA testing, and we're going to prove who actually committed these murders. This is the rhetoric that was coming from Bob Ruff and from a number of supporters. And uh, Eccles, uh, you know, is tossing it out there that, you know, he's going to prove it, he, that that this act, these actions or this testing is going to exonerate him and all this. Uh, all they're going to do is test the, the, the shoe, the shoelaces basically. Uh, why, why only the shoelaces? Well, you know, for one thing, there's probably a fairly good chance they're going to come up with somebody else's either Terry Hobbs's DNA on there from handled a shoelace or uh, somebody else's, some other parent's DNA from when they tied one of the boy's shoes or, or some unknown DNA profile that they may not be able to tie to anybody. There's a good possibility of that. I think there's also just a very good possibility that we're, we're going to have one of these cases where uh, the guilty parties demand DNA testing, and it comes back, and it shows that the guilty parties are the guilty parties. Those cases are not unusual. Uh, when you have somebody as arrogant as Damien Eccles, then you have a, a strong, strong possibility that he simply going to, you know, roll the dice and hope that somehow his DNA isn't going to show up on there and somebody else's DNA will, and that'll make them look really bad and make him look really good. But the fact is, is if, if none of the, if, the fact is, is if none of the DNA of the West Memphis three shows up any of the shoelaces, it does raise a question. Why, why not? Why wouldn't some of their DNA show up in the shoelaces? Well, you know, again, uh, lack of DNA doesn't prove anything other than lack of DNA. Uh, seems, it seems like with the quality of extraction with the MVAC testing, if it's as good as they say, it does seem as if that would yield some results that if... The, Results that if the West Memphis, any of the West Memphis Three handled the shoelaces, then it seems like there's a really strong likelihood that their DNA would show up on the shoelaces. Uh, so it does raise the question: Why would they push for this? Well, I, I think they're they're pushing for this partially because I don't think they think they're going to be successful. They're also using this to raise money, raise support. Uh, uh, get the supporters all wound up and if their DNA does show up then they can claim that the police uh, planted the evidence you know very much as supporters of D Stephen Avery have claimed in his case so DNA you know DNA is uh, a very good uh, forensic tool but uh, We've already seen how that can be spun around, and um, 
suddenly, uh, even when the guilty party's DNA actually shows up on a relevant piece of evidence, the supporters of which are in whichever case can claim, oh, well, that they didn't really leave it there. The police planted it. Uh, there's been no evidence up to this point that the police have planted any kind of evidence in the West Memphis Three case. Just, just to be clear about that. Uh, the petition on the January 24th petition uh, makes a pretty good argument that the MVAC uh, collection method is a very effective method, and it does seem to be that way. Maybe a little too effective, as we'll, as we'll see as we go on with this. Um, What we don't, what we don't address are in in this petition is the utter lack of timeliness and seeking a relief. Uh, there's a three-year limitation. Uh, and. It's been ten. It's been over ten years since they pleaded guilty. MVAC was again. We'll get into some of this about how new is MVAC. Well, the defense is not not just here, but in the later argumentation, they the defense is arguing that it's it's well established as a scientific method in the court system, but. It's very hard to find cases in which, I'm not saying they don't exist, they do exist, but it's hard to find many cases in which MVAC collection has played a significant role. Um, uh, is it, uh, is, does Arkansas regard it as a valid method of DNA in extraction, uh, suitable that would, new enough, to justify retesting evidence in a case that's basically been closed for 10 years. It seems, to my mind, it seems unlikely that the court system would go for this. Uh, we do know that uh, as early as 2012, uh, the Insiders in the forensic world understood that MVAC was a, a very good method of extracting DNA. Uh, so, how new it was, so it was new then, but it was already known, a known quantity. Was it known at the time, was it known as a good method of DNA extraction at the time of the guilty pleas in August of 2011? It's not clear. It really isn't. I've, tr I've tried to find solid information on this. MVAC's own web pages don't yield really good information as far as timelines. Uh, tried to find court cases that uh, relevant court cases and they all come up uh, later than 2011 but uh, 
it would seem to have been a known quantity as early as 2012, enough to show up in official forensic reports uh, to, uh, to, you know, research type uh, presentations. So, you know, it was known. And so a lot of it depends on what's presented to the courts and, and, and how it's presented to the courts. Uh, anyway, it's a very weak, very weak argument uh, initially from the defense, um, basically sort of whining again about the missing evidence and uh, how they've been mistreated by a prosecuting attorney and so forth. It's not, they don't really address what to me is the primary issue with this whole thing, which is that uh, Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Skelly all signed away their rights to petition the courts in this matter in 2011. If evidence that had, if there had been some significant new development, such as actually missing evidence, evidence that was actually missing prior to the guilty plea, uh, I can see how that, I, I think that could open a door to, uh, justify a, a petition for another look at the case. But, you know, the fact is, is the evidence has been there all along. Some of it apparently was misfiled somehow. What's the details on that? We don't know. Uh, presumably they'll get to it, into it in the courts, but who knows exactly. Now, What followed after that was um, the reply from the prosecution, Keith Cressman. Cressman had 30 days to reply. It didn't take 30 days to reply. He replied in Let's see, when did he filed it on February 8th? Part of what uh, the, we get into one of these legal arguments here that I won't pretend to be able to say who's right and who's wrong. Uh, but, uh, and, Part of Cressman's argument against the petition is that, that it was filed in the wrong court, that the defendant's murder conviction was uh, entered in Craighead County. Uh, they filed this petition in Crittenden County. Therefore, that's a fatal error in terms of legal proceedings uh, because the any hearing must be held in the court in which the conviction was entered. Uh, and uh, further, it further argues because the habeas corpus argument does, isn't really an available remedy because uh, you have to have somebody in custody to bring to court to have a habeas corpus uh, action. And nobody's, nobody's sitting in jail in West Memphis uh, three case have nobody's been there for 10 years now the defense's responds that 
getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the defense responds that uh, the court, the uh, petition was filed properly because the initial conv murder conviction by jury was in Craighead County, but uh, the actual guilty pleas were made under the jurisdiction of Crittenden County. Therefore, it, it was filed and the, their petition was filed in the proper court. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not an attorney and I don't know how. I don't pretend to understand all the legal ramifications of that. Initially, it looked like a really dumb move for Binka, Patrick Binka, the def main defense attorney involved in this at this point, to uh, file a petition in the wrong court. Uh, maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. I have a feeling Cressman knows what he's talking about. I don't have, Binka doesn't seem to be highly competent in this area, or maybe he's faking incompetence because he really doesn't really want this thing to move forward. It, it's just a PR stunt, which is more what I believe than anything else. It's a PR stunt. All of this. Uh, now, it goes, on, uh, it goes on to say that uh, there's some other things that have to be determined, whether MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method and whether it violates the requirement that the physical evidence in violent of offense cases must be preserved. Uh, I think when we get to the generally accepted scientific testing method, I think that's a, a, a fairly high bar uh, in the Arkansas courts because um, it, it's, it's new, but it's not that new. It's just, you know, it's, it hasn't been used a great deal there, if at all. So, uh, it really hasn't been tested in the courts as far as I know and can determine, um, which means that it's, is it generally accepted or not? Uh, it's, it's, it's a question that the court will have to resolve. I, and I, I don't know which way the court would go. I would tend to think that they would say, mm, you know, we don't really know that much about this. The bigger problem to me seems to be the requirement that the physical evidence and violence, it violates, the use of this technique would violate the requirement that physical evidence and violent offense cases must be preserved. Uh, by its very nature, MBAC seems to be so thorough that it basically collects all this DNA evidence and uh, it's, it's a one-shot deal. You get all this DNA result, but you don't you can't go back and re do that again and come up with uh, uh, come up with a bunch of new DNA to be tested under some sort of new technique which may or may not exist in the future. So, and let's, let's presume that, pro, that DNA uh, testing and so forth is, to go, is going to continue to be more sophisticated. Uh, 
I don't know what the limits of the science are, and I suspect they're coming close to the practical limits. But uh, uh, you know, I'm again, I don't know that for an absolute fact. <coughs> I just haven't heard anything particularly new lately uh, concerning. Wow, we've got some new way of testing DNA that's really going to yield new results. It's basically uh, basically A is A and B is B and C and C and here it is. Cressman's um, petition uh, answer says the general case law search reveals only two cases in which courts mention MVAC in neither cases, case discusses where the MVAC uses scientifically sound methods consistent with forensic practices. Nor does defendant provide proof that MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method. Until defendant provides this proof, the, the, case, the court can't grant his request. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is it. Uh, Benka has not really provided a lot of really great information that the court can go on to make a determination about whether MVAC is a valid testing method. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't, I, is the courts expected to do its own research about this? I think that they would to a point, but uh, apparently there's not a lot of research results out there so uh, you know doesn't look good in that respect the other thing is is you know and we get into this thing that the, this is interesting in that the, the the state requirement is that physical evidence must be preserved <coughs> in uh in these violent offensive offenses these violent offense cases. Uh, if MBAC is so thorough, it basically doesn't preserve the DNA evidence uh, just by the very nature of its extraction method. Uh, the irony here, of course, is that the, what the defense has been making this big deal about how that the um, police and the prosecutors and so forth didn't preserve the evidence. They were making a big deal about this for months and months and months. And what turns out that they did preserve it. But uh, prosecutors basically flipping back that argue, argument on, uh, on the defense and saying, you know, this argument about preservation of evidence still holds even when it doesn't run in your favor. Uh, Further complicating this is, you know, you've got two other defendants in this case, two other uh, convicted in this case. They're really, they're no longer defendants anymore. They are the convicted, uh, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miskelly Jr., who gave lip service and not in a real enthusiastic way to uh, Bob, Bob Ruff's pleas to uh, approve retesting. And uh, Miss Kelly's been silent on that since, as usual. And uh, Baldwin's been noticeably quiet uh, for the most part about all of this. 
for somebody who's supposedly fighting for justice down in Austin, Texas, uh, in his own, and supposedly fighting for his own case, he really hasn't, he's really not been very uh, pushy about, he hasn't been the least bit aggressive at all about whether this is going to go, he wants this done as far as this retesting. I think he may know that the results may not be what he had, we would hope for, he would hope for, not I, I wouldn't hope for, the, uh, except when, a, this is what the code says, except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing to demonstrate the person's actual innocence if the proposed testing is reasonable in scope, uses scientifically sound methods, and is consistent with accepted forensic practices it's not clear that the what the what the uh, defense is seeking is reasonable in scope it's not clear that it uses scientifically sound methods and it's not clear that it's consistent with accepted forensic practices uh Cressman argues that failure to uh Preserve this evidence is in itself a crime, and that the MVAC appears to violate this requirement. Is this all true? Is it, is it a one-shot deal, as he puts it? I, I, I think so. Uh, the defense is going to come back and say, well, you know, it's... Yeah, but we're not really, you know, we're gonna we were gonna test everything, and now we're gonna be very selective about what we test. Uh, I can, you know, I can almost see them just testing uh, one shoelace that just happens to be a shoelace that uh, where there was a hair found that may or may not belong to Terry Hobbs, and they're just sort of hoping that maybe none of the West Memphis Three's DNA shows up on that, and maybe just maybe some. DNA from Terry Hobbs shows up on that so that they can make a big deal about uh, Terry Hobbs being the the clear suspect in the case for, you know, for the next 20 years. Uh, you know, I can, I can almost see that happening. Uh, if they're not going to test even all the shoelaces, then we're really going to have a problem. I'm going to have a real problem with taking any of this very seriously. But I don't think there are any retestings going to happen, to be clear. <coughs> and the defendant must show that the proposed testing's new evidence would establish actual innocence. Testing. Uh, testing must establish actual innocence and uh, testing that would only support uh, theoretical defense is insufficient. Further testing must instead provide material relevant relevant uh, evidence that significantly advanced defendants innocent claim in light of all the evidence presented to the jury. Uh, yeah, I just don't see, again, I don't see a, a strong claim of actual innocence uh, being presented here. They're just basically um, 
hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe some result will show something that might just might somehow mitigate their guilt. Uh, the, the, the petitioner must identify how the requested testing would establish the actual innocence of the person in relation to the offense being challenged. Uh, the defense's petition does not do that. It does not identify how the requested testing would establish actual innocence. Uh, they cite... They, they cite some of the facts in the case. Cressman does. Defendant knew. Facts about the murders the general public didn't know. During cross-examination, admitted that his claim that he learned the facts about the case from the newspaper was false. Fibers found on the victim's clothes were microscopically similar to clothing found in defendant's home accomplice. Testimony detailed uh, defendant's involvement. Uh, multiple witnesses testified that defendant confessed to the killings. Multiple witnesses testified that defendant was near the crime scene at the time of the murders. And given this trial evidence and other person's DNA at the crime scene wouldn't prove the defendant innocent. So the court can't grant his petition. You know, I, I, I could argue there's uh, other, I, there is, I don't even need to argue it. There is other evidence pointing to Eccles' guilt, including evidence at trial, but they hit some of the high points here. Uh, the Many confessions of Jesse Miskelly are on the record, and the courts can look at those and determine, well, you know, we've got these official confessions over and over and over again from this, this uh, other the other defendant pointing out Eccles involvement in the killings uh, the confessions are reasonably credible they're not without problems but they're reasonably credible they're fairly consistent and the, again it's, uh, Ms. Kelly also demonstrated special knowledge uh, about the, the the crimes that he wouldn't have been available to anybody who wasn't actually involved in the murders. So you have Eccles involved with both having special knowledge that really nobody else should have concerning what actually happened with the murders. Now, okay. Hi, this is Gary Meese with the case against. There's been quite a bit happening in the uh, West Memphis Three case over the last month, and I'm frankly have been just sort of missing in action quite a bit of that time. And, for various reasons, uh, I'm not going to 
get into explanations, and I'm certainly not going to get into apologies for that. But uh, I am going to try to catch up a little bit today. Uh, what we had after months and months of conversations um, about uh, the retesting of DNA evidence in the case, and after the prosecuting attorney, Cressman said way back, and I think it was April that, you know, if they, if the West Memphis Three defense wants to have the evidence retested, they need to file a petition with the court. In other words, they need to follow established legal procedures instead of the, this attempt to sort of work outside the bounds of the usual the usual uh, court proceedings. Uh, they need to file this a petition. Well, they finally got around to it on January 24th. And uh, it, it, initially, it's... It, it's very weak and legal argumentation for the necessity of this uh, this retesting. It goes over uh, the petition goes over uh, all the, all the promises that allegedly were made by Ellington uh, as far as Scott Ellington, the former prosecuting attorney, about you know in, in retesting and so forth, and. Uh, you know, the thing is, is uh, Keith Cressman, the new prosecuting attorney, isn't bound by any of the promises that uh, Scott Ellington made. Scott Ellington didn't seem bound by his own promises, but, you know, the guy's a weasel. So what do you expect? He uh, he's, he's a judge now, and uh, maybe he'll be a better judge than he was a prosecutor. I don't know. Uh, but... He, uh, he he left, you know, this matter just sort of hanging with the, you know, he just sort of led the West Memphis Three supporters on to think that something was actually going to happen, and then nothing ever happened with it, and basically shut them out. So that, this is all well established, and, uh, and then we had the, the whole fiasco of Cressman stating that uh, to the defense that uh, some of the evidence may have gone missing or it was lost or misplaced or perhaps destroyed in a fire. And uh, so this went on for months with this all this outrage on the internet from the supporters that uh, this is part of the, the so-called cover-up and Part of the so-called corruption in, in the case, though, so, you know, um, I've never really seen any really good documentation about what this corruption that supposedly occurred in this case would be. Uh, some mistakes were made uh, in the police investigation which they generally tried to correct. Um, and uh, obviously prosecutors, 
some of their efforts at trial were less effective than than others, other things that they tried as far as the presentation of the evidence. Um, Dale Griffiths being a notable example. Uh, but the, the so-called occult expert, which I think he's probably was probably reasonably reasonably knowledgeable about the occult, but he was he was not a good witness. Uh, the only real function he actually served was to inform the uh, jurors about some aspects of of occult belief that perhaps had some bearing on the case, and certainly had some bearing on some statements that uh, Damien Eccles had made to prosecute uh, the police. And uh, so I guess he was, was perhaps slightly helpful in that way, but overall I would say his, his effect, the effect of his testimony was negative. It's certainly a public perception. So that was a mistake, but it's not corruption. It's just wasn't very, didn't work out very well. Uh, we finally found out back in December that indeed the uh, DNA, uh, the, the evidence in the case had not been uh, lost. Supposedly, some of it had been misfiled. We don't know what the details are on that. And among the items that supposedly were misfiled were the these all-important ligatures, basically the shoestrings that were used to bind the, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers wrist to ankle. And then uh, that yielded the, the supporters' favorite piece of evidence for their current alternative, favorite alternative suspect, which would be Terry Hobbs, which is a, a hair that yielded some mitochondrial DNA that may or may not belong to, that may or may not be actual, uh, Terry Hobbs' actual mitochondrial DNA, may not be his hair. You know, it probably is. All three boys were in his house that afternoon. They've been in his house on a number of other occasions. One of them lived with him. So uh, secondary transfer is certainly a possibility. Uh, if we had ever, ever actually seen how the hair looked in, in terms of uh, how it was, you know, suppose it was bound up in the, the knots, but I've never seen a photo of that. Uh, we don't really know how it was bound up in there. Uh, you know, I think it might raise a legitimate question, but the, uh, as far as, well, how did the hair get in there like that? But, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities, including the fact that, uh, you know, it could have, there's all sorts of possibilities with that. Um, so it certainly doesn't prove that he was involved in the murders in any, in any way. And the ev the strongest evidence against that is not so much his own statements, 
the combination of his own statements and uh, statements from David Jacoby and statements from other people who witnessed him during the search process that evening. And if you look at the totality of statements there, a lot of inconclusive times, but it, it, it does, there does not seem to even be uh, the possibility that he had time to perform the killings, even if for some wild reason he was actually doing that. I mean, how, you know, Jacoby describes Hobbes uh, showing up at his house again and again, taking long, slow tours through the neighborhood, uh, looking for the boys during the time that they almost certainly were being killed. So unless you subscribe to some bizarre theories uh, about the disposition of the bodies and, uh, and that they were somehow deposited down a manhole cover or something, and then uh, somebody went back there late at night, finished the job and killed them and deposited them in this, uh, this little ditch, then, uh, which I just find the whole, all that to be totally absurd. Uh, and there's no evidence of that. Uh, then, you know, Hobbes is a suspect. It's just not, he's not a good suspect. He's not a feasible suspect. Plus you have all this evidence against the West Memphis Three. You know, I've got now. I've gone off, gone off on one of my famous uh, tangents. Uh, so they found the ligatures, and they also that's all they want to test now is the ligatures. After all this talk about, we're going to test all the evidence. We're going to get some conclusive results from DNA testing, and we're going to prove who actually committed these murders. This is the rhetoric that was coming from Bob Ruff and from a number of supporters and uh Eccles, uh you know is tossing it out there that you know he's going to prove it, he that, that that this act these actions or this testing is going to exonerate him and all this uh all they're going to do is test the, the the shoe the shoelaces basically uh why why only the shoelaces well, you know, for one thing, there's probably a fairly good chance they're going to come up with somebody else's, either Terry Hobbs's DNA on there from uh, when he handled a shoelace or uh, somebody else's, some other parent's DNA from when they tied one of the boy's shoes or, or some unknown DNA profile that they may not be able to tie to anybody. There's a good possibility of that. I think there's also just a very good possibility that we're, we're going to have one of these cases where uh, the guilty parties demand DNA testing and it comes back and it shows that the guilty parties are the guilty parties. Those cases are not unusual. Uh, when you have somebody as arrogant as Damien Eccles, then you have a, a strong, strong possibility that he simply 
going to you know roll the dice and hope that somehow his DNA isn't going to show up on there and somebody else's DNA will and that'll make them look really bad and make him look really good but the fact is is if, if none of the The fact is, is if none of the DNA of the West Memphis Three shows up any of the shoelaces, it does raise a question: Why, why not? Why wouldn't some of their DNA show up in the shoelaces? Well, you know, again, uh, lack of DNA doesn't prove anything other than lack of DNA. Uh, seems it seems like with the quality of extraction with the impact testing if it's as good as they say it does seem as if that would yield some results that if the, uh, results that if the west Memphis, any of the west memphis three handled the shoelaces then it seems like there's a really strong likelihood that their dna would show up on the shoelaces So it does raise the question, why would they push for this? Well, I, I think they're they're pushing for this partially because I don't think they think they're going to be successful. They're also using this to raise money, raise support, uh, uh, get the supporters all wound up. And if their DNA does show up, then they can claim that the police uh, planted the evidence, you know, very much as supporters of D Stephen Avery have claimed in his case. So DNA, you know, DNA is uh, a very good uh, forensic tool, but uh, <coughs> we've already seen how that can be spun around and um, Suddenly, uh, even when the guilty party's DNA actually shows up on a relevant piece of evidence, the supporters of which are in whichever case can claim, oh, well, that they didn't really leave it there. The police planted it. Uh, there's been no evidence up to this point that the po police have planted any kind of evidence in the West Memphis Three case, just, just to be clear about that. Uh, the petition on the January 24th petition uh, makes a pretty good argument that the MVAC uh, collection method is a very effective method and it does seem to be that way. Maybe a little too effective as we'll, as we'll see as we go on with this. Um, What we don't, what we don't address are in in this petition is the utter lack of timeliness and seeking a relief. Uh, there's a three-year limitation. Uh, and. It's been ten. It's been over ten years since they pleaded guilty. Mvac was again. We'll get into some of this about how new is Mvac. Well, the defense is 
not not just here, but in the later argumentation, they the defense is arguing that it's it's well established as a scientific method in the court system, but it's very hard to find cases in which I'm not saying they don't exist; they do exist, but it's hard to find many cases in which MVAC collection has played a significant role. Um, uh, is it is, does Arkansas regard it as a valid method of DNA extraction, uh, suitable that would new enough to justify retesting evidence in a case that's basically been closed for 10 years? It seems, to my mind, it seems unlikely that the court system would go for this. Uh, we do know that uh, as early as 2012, uh, the insiders in the forensic world understood that MVAC was a, a very good method of extracting DNA. Uh, so how new it was, so it was new then, but it was already known a known quantity was it known at the time was it known as a good method of dna extraction at the time of the guilty pleas in august of 2011 it's not clear it really isn't i've, tr I've tried to find solid information on this MVAC's own web pages don't yield really good information as far as timelines. Uh, tried to find court cases that uh, relevant court cases, and they all come up uh, later than 2011. But uh, what it would seem to have been a known quantity as early as 2012 enough to show up in official forensic reports uh, to, uh, to, you know, research type uh, presentations. Uh, so, you know, it was known. And so a lot of it depends on what's presented to the courts and, and, and how it's presented to the courts. Uh, anyway, it's a very weak, very weak argument uh, initially from the defense. Um, basically sort of whining again about the missing evidence and uh, how they've been mistreated by a prosecuting attorney and so forth. It's not, they don't really address what to me is the primary issue with this whole thing, which is that uh, Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Skelly all signed away their rights to petition the courts in this matter in 2011. If evidence that had if there had been some significant new development, such as actually missing evidence, evidence that was actually missing prior to the guilty plea, uh, I can see how that, I, I think that could open a door to uh, justify a, a, a petition for another look at the case. But, you know, the fact is, is the evidence has been there all along. Some of it apparently was misfiled somehow. What's the details on that? We don't know. Uh, presumably, they'll get to it into it in the courts, but who knows exactly? 
Now, what followed after that was um, the reply from the prosecution. Keith Cressman. Cressman had 30 days to reply. He didn't take 30 days to reply. He replied in Let's see, when did he filed it on February 8th? Part of what uh, the we get into one of these legal arguments here that I won't pretend to be able to say who's right and who's wrong, uh, but uh. An, Part of Cressman's argument against the petition is that, that it was filed in the wrong court, that the defendant's murder conviction was uh, entered in Craighead County. Uh, they filed this petition in Crittenden County. Therefore, that's a fatal error in terms of legal proceedings uh, because the any hearing must be held in the court in which the conviction was entered. Uh, and uh, further, further argues because the habeas corpus argument does, isn't really an available remedy because uh, you have to have somebody in custody to bring to court to have a habeas corpus uh, action. And nobody's, nobody's sitting in jail in West Memphis. Uh, three case have nobody's been there for ten years. Now, the defense responds that getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the defense responds that uh, the court the uh, petition was filed properly because the initial murder conviction by jury was in Craighead County, but uh, the actual guilty pleas were made under the jurisdiction of Crittenden County. Therefore, it, it was filed and the, their petition was filed in the proper court. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not an attorney and I don't know how. I don't pretend to understand all the legal ramifications of that. Initially, it looked like a really dumb move for Binka, Patrick Binka, the def main defense attorney involved in this at this point, to uh, file a petition in the wrong court. Uh, maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. I have a feeling Cressman knows what he's talking about. I don't have... Binka doesn't seem to be highly competent in this area, or maybe he's faking incompetence because he really doesn't really want this thing to move forward. It, it's just a PR stunt, which is more what I believe than anything else. It's a PR stunt. All of this. Uh, now, it goes, uh, goes on to say that... Uh, there's some other things that have to be determined, whether MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method, 
and whether it violates the requirement that the physical evidence in violent offense cases must be preserved. Uh, I think when we get to the generally accepted scientific testing method, I think that's a, a fairly high bar uh, in the Arkansas courts because um, it, it's it's new, but it's not that new. It's just you know it's it hasn't been used a great deal there, if at all. So uh, it really hasn't been tested in the courts, as far as I know and can determine. Um, which means that it's, is it generally accepted or not? Uh, it's, it's, it's a question that the court will have to resolve. I, and I, I don't know which way the court would go. I would tend to think that they would say, mm, you know, we don't really know that much about this. The bigger problem to me seems to be the requirement that the physical evidence and violence, it violates the the use of this technique would violate the requirement that physical evidence in violent offense cases must be preserved. Uh, by its very nature, MBAC seems to be so thorough that it basically collects all this DNA evidence and uh, it's, it's a one-shot deal. You get all this DNA result, but you, don't, you can't go back and redo that again and come up with... Uh, uh, come up with a bunch of new DNA to be tested under some sort of new technique which may or may not exist in the future. So, and let's, let's presume that, pro, that DNA uh, testing and so forth is, continued to go, is going to continue to be more sophisticated. Uh, I don't know what the limits of the science are and I suspect they're coming close to the practical limits, but uh, uh, you know, I'm Again, I don't know that for an absolute fact. <coughs> I just haven't heard anything particularly new lately uh, concerning, wow, we've got some new way of testing DNA that's really going to yield new results. It's basically, uh, basically A is A and B is B and C and C and here it is. Uh, Pressman's petition uh, answer says the general case law search reveals only two cases in which courts mention MVAC and neither cases, case discusses where MVAC uses scientifically sound methods consistent with forensic practices. Nor does defendant provide proof that MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method. Until defendant provides this proof, the, the, Kate, the court can't grant his request. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it. Uh, Benka has not really provided a lot of really great information that the court can go on to make a determination about whether MVAC is a valid testing method. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't, I, the, is the courts expected to do its own research about this? I think that they would to a point, but uh, apparently there's not a lot of research results uh, 
out there. So, uh, you know, doesn't look good in that respect. The other thing is, is you know, and we get into this thing that the, this is interesting in that the, the the state requirement is that physical evidence must be preserved <coughs> in uh, in these violent offensive offenses, these violent offense cases. Uh, if MBAC is so thorough, it basically doesn't preserve the DNA evidence uh, just by the very nature of its extraction method. Uh, the irony here, of course, is that the, what the defense has been making this big deal about how the, the um, police and the prosecutors and so forth didn't preserve the evidence. They were making a big deal about this for months and months and months. And what turns out that they did preserve it. But uh, prosecutors basically flipping back that argue, argument on uh, on the defense and saying, you know, this argument about preservation of evidence still holds, even when it doesn't run in your favor. Uh, further complicating this is, you know, you've got two other defendants in this case, two other uh, convicted in this case. They're really they're no longer defendants anymore. They are the convicted, uh, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miskelly Jr., who gave lip service and not in a real enthusiastic way to uh, Bob Bob Ruff's pleas to uh, approve retesting. And uh, Miskelly's been silent on that since, as usual, and uh, Baldwin's been noticeably quiet uh, for the most part, about all of this. <coughs> for somebody who's supposedly fighting for justice down in Austin, Texas, uh, in his own, and supposedly fighting for his own case, he really hasn't, he's really not been very uh, pushy about, he hasn't been the least bit aggressive at all about whether this is going to go, he wants this done as far as this retesting. I think he may know that the results may not be what he what we would hope for. He would hope for. Not I. I wouldn't hope for. The uh, except when a, this is what the code says. Except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing to demonstrate the person's actual innocence if. The proposed testing is reasonable in scope, uses scientifically sound methods, and is consistent with accepted forensic practices. It's not clear that the what the what the uh, defense is seeking is reasonable in scope. It's not clear that it uses scientifically sound methods, and it's not clear that it's consistent with accepted forensic practices. Uh, Cressman argues that failure to uh, preserve this evidence is in itself a crime and that the MVAC appears to violate this requirement. Is this all true? Is it, is it a one-shot deal, as he puts it? I, I, I think so. Uh, the defense is going to come back and say, well, yeah, it's 
yeah, but we're not really, you know, we're gonna, we were going to test everything, and now we're going to be very selective about what we test. Uh, I can, you know, I can almost see them just testing uh, one shoelace that just happens to be a shoelace that uh, where there was a hair found that may or may not belong to Terry Hobbs, and they're just sort of hoping that maybe none of the West Memphis 3's DNA shows up on that, and maybe, just maybe, some... DNA from Terry Hobbs shows up on that so that they can make a big deal about uh, Terry Hobbs being the the clear suspect in the case for, you know, for the next 20 years. Uh, you know, I can, I can almost see that happening. Uh, if they're not going to test even all the shoelaces, then we're really going to have a problem. I'm going to have a real problem with taking any of this very seriously. But I don't think there are any retestings going to happen, to be clear. <coughs> and the defendant must show that the proposed testing's new evidence would establish actual innocence. Testing. Uh, testing must establish actual innocence and uh, testing that would only support uh, theoretical defense is insufficient. Further testing must instead provide material relevant relevant uh, evidence that significantly advance defendants innocent claim in light of all the evidence presented to the jury. Uh, yeah, I just don't see, again, I don't see a, a strong claim of actual innocence uh, being presented here. They're just basically uh, hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe some result will show something that might just might somehow mitigate their guilt. Uh, the, the, the petitioner must identify how the requested testing would establish the actual innocence of the person in relation to the offense being challenged. Uh, the defense's petition does not do that. It does not identify how the requested testing would establish actual innocence. Uh, they cite... They, they cite some of the facts in the case. Cressman does. Defendant knew facts about the murders the general public didn't know. During cross-examination, admitted that his claim that he learned the facts about the case from the newspaper was false. Fibers found on the victim's clothes were microscopically similar to clothing found in defendant's home. Accomplice testimony detailed uh, defendant's involvement. Uh, multiple witnesses testified that defendant confessed to the killings. Multiple witnesses testified that defendant was near the crime scene at the time of the murders. And given this trial evidence and other person's DNA at the crime scene wouldn't prove the defendant innocent. So the court can't grant his petition. You know, I, I, I could argue there's uh, other, I, there is, I don't even need to argue it. There is other evidence 
pointing to Eccles' guilt, including evidence at trial, but they hit some of the high points here. Uh, the Many confessions of Jesse Miskelly are on the record, and the courts can look at those and determine, well, you know, we've got these official confessions over and over and over again from this this uh, other the uh, other defendant pointing out Eccles' involvement in the killings. Uh, the confessions are reasonably credible. They're not without problems, but they're reasonably credible. They're fairly consistent. And the, again, uh, Miskelly also demonstrated special knowledge uh, about the, the the crimes that he wouldn't have been available to anybody who wasn't actually involved in the murders. So you have Eccles involved in both having special knowledge that really nobody else should have concerning what actually happened with the murders. Now, okay. And finally, Cressman points out that uh, the Arkansas statutes require that the petitioner advance a theory of defense that established actual innocence within a 36-month limitations period. Obviously, the all right. This is Gary Meese with the case against. been quite a bit happening in the uh, West Memphis 3 case over the last month and I'm frankly have been just sort of missing in action quite a bit of that time and for various reasons. Uh, I'm not going to get into explanations and I'm certainly not going to get into apologies for that but uh, I am going to try to catch up a little bit today. Uh, what we had after months and months of conversations um, about uh, the retesting of DNA evidence in the case and after the prosecuting attorney Cressman said way back and I think it was April that you know if they if the West Memphis Three defense wants to have the evidence retested, they need to file a petition with the court. In other words, they need to follow established legal procedures instead of the, this attempt to sort of work outside the bounds of the usual the usual uh, court proceedings. Uh, they need to file this petition. Well, they finally got around to it on January 24th. And uh, it, it, initially, it's it, it's very weak and legal argumentation for the necessity of this uh, this retesting. It goes over, uh, the petition goes over 
all the, all the promises that allegedly were made by Ellington, uh, as far as retest, Scott Ellington, the former prosecuting attorney, about you know in, in retesting and so forth, and uh, you know the thing is, is uh, Keith Cressman, the new prosecuting attorney, isn't bound by any of the promises that. Uh, Scott Ellington made. Scott Ellington didn't seem bound by his own promises, but you know, the guy's a weasel. So what do you expect? He, uh, he's, he's a judge now and, uh, maybe he'll be a better judge than he was a prosecutor. I don't know. Uh, but he, uh, he, he left, you know, this matter just sort of hanging with the, you know, he just sort of led the West Memphis three supporters on to think that something was actually going to happen. And then nothing ever happened with it and basically shut them out. So that this is all well established. And, uh, and then we had the, the whole fiasco of Crestman stating that uh, to the defense that uh, some of the evidence may have gone missing or it was lost or misplaced or perhaps destroyed in a fire. And uh, so this went on for months with this, all this outrage on the internet from the supporters that uh, this is part of the, the so-called cover-up and part of the so-called corruption in, in the case. So I, you know, um, I've never really seen any really good documentation about what this corruption that supposedly occurred in this case would be. Uh, some mistakes were made, uh, the police investigation, which they generally tried to correct, um, and uh, obviously, prosecutors, uh, some of their efforts at trial were less effective than, than others, other things that they tried as far as the presentation of the evidence. Um, Dale Griffiths being a notable example. Uh, but the so-called occult expert, which I think he's probably was probably reasonably reasonably knowledgeable about the occult, but he was he was not a good witness. Uh, the only real function he actually served was to inform the uh, jurors about some aspects of of occult belief that perhaps had some bearing on the case, and certainly had some bearing on some statements that uh, Damien Eccles had made to prosecute uh, the police. And uh, so I guess he was, was perhaps slightly helpful in that way, but overall I would say his, his effect, the effect of his testimony was negative. It's certainly a public perception. So that was a mistake, but it's not corruption. It's just wasn't very, didn't work out very well. Uh, we finally found out back in December that indeed the uh, DNA, uh, the, the evidence in the case had not been uh, lost. Supposedly, some of it had been misfiled. 
We don't know what the details are on that. And among the items that supposedly were misfiled were the these all-important ligatures, basically the shoestrings that were used to bind the, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers, wrist to ankle. And then uh, that yielded the, the supporters' favorite piece of evidence for their current alternative, favorite alternative suspect, which would be Terry Hobbs, which is a, a hair that yielded some mitochondrial DNA that may or may not belong to, that may or may, may not be actual, uh, Terry Hobbs's actual mitochondrial DNA, may not be his hair. You know, it probably is. All three boys were in his house that afternoon. They've been in his house on a number of other occasions. One of them lived with him. So uh, secondary transfer is certainly a possibility. Uh, if we had ever, ever actually seen how the hair looked in, in terms of uh, how it was, you know, suppose it was bound up in the, the knots, but I've never seen a photo of that. Uh, we don't really know how it was bound up in there. Uh, you know, I think it might raise a legitimate question, but the, uh, as far as, well, how did the hair get in there like that? But, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities, including the fact that, uh, you know, it could have, there's all sorts of possibilities with that. Um, so it certainly doesn't prove that he was involved in the murders in any, in any way. And the ev the strongest evidence against that is not so much his own statements, but a combination of his own statements and uh, statements from David Jacoby and statements from other people who witnessed him during the search process that evening. And if you look at the totality of statements there, a lot of inconclusive times, but it, it's, it does, there does not seem to even be uh, the possibility that he had time to perform the killings, even if for some wild reason he was actually doing that. I mean, how, you know, Jacoby describes Hobbs um, showing up at his house again and again, taking long, slow tours through the neighborhood, uh, looking for the boys during the time that they almost certainly were being killed. So unless you subscribe to some bizarre theories uh, about the disposition of the bodies and, uh, and that they were somehow deposited down a manhole cover or something, and then uh, somebody went back there late at night, finished the job and killed them and deposited them in this, uh, this little ditch, then, uh, which I just find the whole, all that to be totally absurd. Uh, and there's no evidence of that, uh, then, you know, Hobbs is a suspect. It's just not, 
is he's not a good suspect. He's not a feasible suspect. Plus, you have all this evidence against the West Memphis Three. You know, I've got now. I've gone off, gone off on one of my famous uh, tangents. Uh, so they found the ligatures, and they all—that's all they want to test now—is the ligatures. After all this talk about we're going to test all the evidence, we're going to get some conclusive results from DNA testing, and we're going to prove who actually committed these murders. This is the rhetoric that was coming from Bob Ruff and from a number of supporters. And uh, Eccles, uh, you know, is tossing it out there that, you know, he's going to prove it, he, that that this action, these actions or this testing is going to exonerate him and all this. Uh, all they're going to do is test the, the, the shoe, the shoelaces basically. Uh, why, why only the shoelaces? Well, you know, for one thing, there's probably a fairly good chance they're going to come up with somebody else's either Terry Hobbs's DNA on there from, handled a shoelace or uh, somebody else's, some other parent's DNA from when they tied one of the boy's shoes or, or some unknown DNA profile that they may not be able to tie to anybody. There's a good possibility of that. I think there's also just a very good possibility that we're, we're going to have one of these cases where uh, the guilty parties demand DNA testing, and it comes back, and it shows that the guilty parties are the guilty parties. Those cases are not unusual. Uh, when you have somebody as arrogant as Damien Eccles, then you have a, a strong, strong possibility that he simply going to you know roll the dice and hope that somehow his DNA isn't going to show up on there and somebody else's DNA will and that'll make them look really bad and make him look really good but the fact is is if, if none of the if, the fact is is if none of the DNA of the West Memphis three shows up any of the shoelaces it does raise a question why why not why wouldn't some of their DNA show up in the shoelaces? Well, you know, again, uh, lack of DNA doesn't prove anything other than lack of DNA. Uh, seems, it seems like with the quality of extraction with the MVAC testing, if it's as good as they say, it does seem as if that would yield some results that if... The, Results that if the West Memphis, any of the West Memphis Three handled the shoelaces, then it seems like there's a really strong likelihood that their DNA would show up on the shoelaces. Uh, so it does raise a question: Why would they push for this? Well, I, I think they're they're pushing for this partially because I don't think they think they're going to be successful. They're also using this to raise money, raise support. Uh, uh, get the supporters all wound up and if their DNA does show up then they can claim that the police uh, planted the evidence you know very much as supporters of D Stephen Avery have claimed in his case so 
DNA, you know, DNA is uh, a very good uh, forensic tool, but uh, <coughs> we've already seen how that can be spun around and um, suddenly, uh, even when the guilty party's DNA actually shows up on a relevant piece of evidence, the supporters of whichever, in whichever case can claim, oh, well, that they didn't really leave it there. The police planted it. Uh, there's been no evidence up to this point that the police have planted any kind of evidence in the West Memphis 3 case, just, just to be clear about that. Uh, the petition on the January 24th petition uh, makes a pretty good argument that the MVAC uh, collection method is a very effective method, and it does seem to be that way. Maybe a little too effective, as we'll, as we'll see as we go on with this. Um, what we don't what we don't address are in, in this petition is the utter lack of timeliness and seeking a relief. Uh, there's a three-year limitation. Uh, and it's been, ten, it's been over 10 years since they pleaded guilty. MVAC was, again, we'll get into some of this about how new is MVAC. Well, the defense is not not just here, but in the later argumentation. They, the defense is arguing that it's, it's well established as a scientific method in the court system, but it's very hard to find cases in which I'm not saying they don't exist. They do exist, but it's hard to find many cases in which MVAC collection has played a significant role. Um, uh, is it, uh, a, is, does Arkansas regard it as a valid method of DNA in extraction? Uh, suitable that would, new enough to justify retesting evidence in a case that's basically been closed for 10 years it seems to my mind it seems unlikely that the court system would go for this uh, we do know that uh, as early as 2012 uh, the insiders in the forensic world understood that MVAC was a, a very good method of extracting DNA uh, so how new it was, so it was new then, but it was already known, a known quantity. Was it known at the time? Was it known as a good method of DNA extraction at the time of the guilty pleas in August of 2011? It's not clear. It really isn't. I've, tr I've tried to find solid information on this. MVAC's 
own web pages don't yield really good information as far as timelines. Uh, tried to find court cases that uh, relevant court cases, and they all come up uh, later than 2011. But uh, it would seem to have been a known quantity as early as 2012, enough to show up in official forensic reports uh, to, uh, to, you know, research type uh, presentations. Uh, so, you know, it was known. And so a lot of it depends on what's presented to the courts and, and, and how it's presented to the courts. Uh, anyway, it's a very weak, very weak argument uh, initially from the defense, um, basically sort of whining again about the missing evidence and uh, how they've been mistreated by a uh, prosecuting attorney and so forth. It's not, it, they don't really address what to me is the primary issue with this whole thing, which is that uh, Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Skelly all signed away their rights to petition the courts in this matter in 2011. If evidence had if there had been some significant new development, such as actually missing evidence, evidence that was actually missing prior to the guilty plea, uh, I can see how that, I, I think that could open a door to uh, justify a, a petition for another look at the case. But, you know, the fact is, is the evidence has been there all along. Some of it apparently was misfiled somehow. What's the details on that? We don't know. Uh, presumably, they'll get to it into it in the courts, but who knows exactly? Now, what followed after that was um, the reply from the prosecution. Keith Cressman. Cressman had thirty days to reply. It didn't take 30 days to reply. He replied in let's see when did he filed it on February 8th. Part of what uh, the we get into one of these legal arguments here that I won't pretend to be able to say who's right and who's wrong. Uh, but uh, a, part of Cressman's argument against the petition is that, that it was filed in the wrong court, that the defendant's murder conviction was uh, entered in Craighead County. Uh, they filed this petition in Crittenden County. Therefore, that's a fatal error in terms of legal proceedings uh, because the any hearing must be held in the court in which the conviction was entered. Uh, and uh, further, it further argues because the habeas corpus argument does isn't really an available remedy because uh, you have to have somebody in custody to bring to court to have a habeas corpus uh, action. 
and nobody's nobody's sitting in jail in West Memphis uh, three case have nobody's been there for ten years now the defense's response that getting ahead of myself a little bit but the defense responds that uh, the court the uh, petition was filed properly because the initial conv murder conviction by jury was in Craighead County but uh, the actual guilty pleas were made under the jurisdiction of Crittenden County Therefore, it, it was filed and the, their petition was filed in the proper court. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not an attorney and I don't know how, I don't pretend to understand all the legal ramifications of that. Initially, it looked like a really dumb move for Binka, Patrick Binka, the def main defense attorney involved in this at this point to uh, file a petition in the wrong court. Uh, maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. I have a feeling Cressman knows what he's talking about. I don't have, Binka doesn't seem to be highly competent in this area, or maybe he's faking incompetence because he really doesn't really want this thing to move forward. It, it's just a PR stunt, which is more what I believe than anything else. It's a PR stunt. All of this. Uh, now, it goes on. Uh, it goes on to say that uh, there's some other things that have to be determined: whether MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method, and whether it violates the requirement that the physical evidence in violent of offense cases must be preserved. Uh, I think when we get to the generally accepted scientific testing method, I think that's a, a, a fairly high bar uh, in the Arkansas courts because um, it, it's it's new, but it's not that new. It's just you know it's it hasn't been used a great deal there, if at all. So. Uh, it really hasn't been tested in the courts as far as I know and can determine, um, which means that it's, is it generally accepted or not? Uh, it's, it's, it's a question that the court will have to resolve. I, and I, I don't know which way the court would go. I would tend to think that they would say, mm, you know, we don't really know that much about this. The bigger problem to me seems to be the, requirement that the physical evidence and violence it violates the use of this technique would violate the requirement that physical evidence and violent offense cases must be preserved uh, by its very nature MBAC seems to be so thorough that it basically collects all this DNA evidence and uh, it's, it's a one-shot deal you get all this DNA result, but you don't. You can't go back and re do that again, and come up with uh, uh, 
come up with a bunch of new DNA to be tested under some sort of new technique, which may or may not exist in the future. So, and let's let's presume that per, that DNA uh, testing and so forth is continued to go is going to continue to be more sophisticated. Uh, I don't know what the limits of the science are, and I suspect they're coming close to the practical limits, but. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, again, I don't know that for an absolute fact. <coughs> I just haven't heard anything particularly new lately uh, concerning, wow, we've got some new way of testing DNA that's really going to yield new results. It's basically, uh, basically A is A and B is B and C and C and here it is. Um, Pressman's petition uh, answer says the general case law search reveals only two cases in which courts mention MVAC and neither cases case discusses where the MVAC uses scientifically sound methods consistent with forensic practices. Nor does defendant provide proof that MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method. Until defendant provides this proof, the the court can't grant his request. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it. Uh, Benka has not really provided a lot of really great information that the court can go on to make a determination about whether MVAC is a valid testing method. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't, I, is the courts expected to do its own research about this? I think that they would to a point, but uh, apparently there's not a lot of research results out there. So, uh, you know, it doesn't look good in that respect. The other thing is, is, you know, and we get into this thing that the, this is interesting in that the, the state requirement is that physical evidence must be preserved <coughs> in uh, in these violent offenses, offenses, these violent offense cases. Uh, if MBAC is so thorough, it basically doesn't preserve the DNA evidence. Uh, just by the very nature of its extraction method. Uh, the irony here, of course, is that the, what the defense has been making this big deal about how the, the um, police and the prosecutors and so forth didn't preserve the evidence. They were making a big deal about this for months and months and months. And what turns out that they did preserve it. But uh, the prosecutors basically flipping back that argue, argument on uh, on the defense and saying, you know, this argument about preservation of evidence still holds even when it doesn't run in your favor. Uh, further complicating this is, you know, you've got two other defendants in this case, two other uh, convicted in this case. They're really, they're no longer defendants anymore. They are the convicted uh uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miskelly Jr., who gave lip service 
not in a real enthusiastic way to uh, Bob Bob Ruff's pleas to uh, approve retesting. And uh, Miss Kelly's been silent on that since, as usual. And uh, Baldwin's been noticeably quiet uh, for the most part about all of this. For somebody who's supposedly fighting for justice down in Austin, Texas, uh, he, in his own, and supposedly fighting for his own case, he really hasn't. He's really not been very uh, pushy about. He hasn't been the least bit aggressive at all about whether this is going to go. He wants this done as far as this retesting. I think he may know that the results may not be what he. Had, we would hope for, he would hope for, not I, I wouldn't hope for. The, uh, except when, a, this is what the code says, except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing to demonstrate the person's actual innocence if the proposed testing is reasonable in scope, uses scientifically sound methods, and is consistent with accepted forensic practices. It's not clear that the, what the, what the uh, defense is seeking is reasonable in scope. It's not clear that it uses scientifically sound methods, and it's not clear that it's consistent with accepted forensic practices. Uh, Cressman argues that failure to, uh, Preserve this evidence is in itself a crime, and that the MVAC appears to violate this requirement. Is this all true? Is it, is it a one-shot deal, as he puts it? I, I, I think so. Uh, the defense is going to come back and say, well, yeah, it's... Yeah, but we're not really, you know, we're gonna, we were going to test everything, and now we're going to be very selective about what we test. Uh, I can, you know, I can almost see them just testing uh, one shoelace that just happens to be a shoelace that uh, where there was a hair found that may or may not belong to Terry Hobbs, and they're just sort of hoping that maybe none of the West Memphis Three's DNA shows up on that, and maybe just maybe some. DNA from Terry Hobbs shows up on that so that they can make a big deal about uh, Terry Hobbs being the, the clear suspect in the case for, you know, for the next 20 years. Uh, uh, you know, I can, I can almost see that happening. Uh, if they're not going to test even all the shoelaces, then we're really going to have a problem. I'm going to have a real problem with taking any of this very seriously. But I don't think there are any retestings going to happen, to be clear. <coughs> and the defendant must show that the proposed testing's new evidence would establish actual innocence. Testing. Uh, Testing must establish actual innocence, and uh, testing that would only support a theoretical defense is insufficient. Further testing must instead provide material relevant, relevant 
uh, evidence that significantly advanced defendant's innocent claim in light of all the evidence presented to the jury. Uh, yeah, I just don't see, again, I don't see a, a, a strong claim of actual innocence uh, being presented here. They're just basically uh, hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe some result will show something that might just might somehow mitigate their guilt. Uh, the, the, the petitioner must identify how the requested testing would establish the actual innocence of the person in relation to the offense being challenged. Uh, the defense's petition does not do that. It does not identify how the requested testing would establish actual innocence. Uh, they cite... They, they cite some of the facts in the case. Cressman does. Defendant knew. Facts about the murders the general public didn't know. During cross-examination, admitted that his claim that he learned the facts about the case from the newspaper was false. Fibers found on the victim's clothes were microscopically similar to clothing found in defendant's home, accomplice. Testimony detailed uh, defendant's involvement. Uh, multiple witnesses testified that defendant confessed to the killings. Multiple witnesses testified that defendant was near the crime scene at the time of the murders. And given this trial evidence and other person's DNA at the crime scene wouldn't prove the defendant innocent. So the court can't grant his petition. You know, I, I, I could argue there's uh, other, I, there is, I don't even need to argue it. There is other evidence pointing to Eccles' guilt, including evidence at trial, but they hit some of the high points here. Uh, the Many confessions of Jesse Miskelly are on the record, and the courts can look at those and determine, well, you know, we've got these official confessions over and over and over again from this, this uh, other the other defendant pointing out Eccles' involvement in the killings. Uh, the confessions are reasonably credible. They're not without problems, but they're reasonably credible. They're fairly consistent. And the, again, it's, uh, Miskelly also demonstrated special knowledge uh, about the, the the crimes that he wouldn't have been available to anybody who wasn't actually involved in the murders. So you have Eccles involved in both having special knowledge that really nobody else should have concerning what actually happened with the murders. Now, okay. And finally, Cressman points out that uh, 
the Arkansas statutes require that the petitioner advance a theory of defense that establishes actual innocence within a 36-month limitations period. Obviously, the a week or so later, uh, Binka filed a response to uh, Cressman's response. Or, or this is a reply memorandum in support of petition to conduct additional DNA testing. He, as I said, he makes he makes an argument that uh, that it that his petition was filed in the correct court. What uh, that's something the courts can decide. I have no idea at this point. Uh, Binka makes an argument that. Uh, the prosecutor's argument against the habeas corpus ruling doesn't make any sense because uh, a conviction has consequences beyond just merely being held in jail. Uh, yeah, and it's true that uh, being convicted of a crime has those kind of consequences. Does it? Does it give you? Uh, does it give you access to habeas corpus relief? I don't really know that that's the case. I mean, I'm not an, again, I'm not an attorney, I think, but I do think that's fairly specific. And on top of that, we're not talking about a conviction by jury. We're talking about they were convicted by jury and then they pleaded guilty. So nobody made them plead guilty. So they willingly took that upon themselves as part of a plea deal. And uh, so if they have negative consequences from their guilty plea of murder in their own lives, then that's just part of the consequence of being a murderer. The courts aren't under any obligation to provide relief to child murderers just because it gives them a bad reputation. He uh, tries to get around this idea that it's uh, that the if part of what he does is is he cites and in terms of the scientifically valid method of, of DNA extract, extraction being uh, being part of. Uh, the MVAC technique that it's uh, that a research study by the FBI uh, backs this up, but just because the FBI does a research study doesn't mean that that's a generally accepted legal view. Uh, as I said earlier, there was some friends, there was some report to forensic sciences back in 2012 that it was a good and uh, a, a very good uh, system of DNA extraction. Doesn't mean that that became the general scientific c 
consensus at that point. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that's the case even now. And the argument that the MVAC laboratories have created the same level of forensic standards as the Arkansas State Crime Laboratory, you know, again, it, it get you get into uh, get into uh, how valid is that concerning the court's general assessment of it as a general scientific method. I'm not really sure how relevant it is. And I'm, I'm saying an awful lot of things about me not being really sure because I'm not really, I'm not really sure. The court is going to have to look at all this. They're going to have to present a lot more and a lot better information than has been presented uh, on both sides, really, uh, before the court can make, I would think, before the court can make a valid ruling on this. If the court just if the court decides to let this go ahead, it doesn't just simply throw it out because uh, it's an invalid petition on the face of it because Eccles has signed away his rights to file such petitions, which is my contention. And I'm not sure why Cressman doesn't go that route with this. Maybe he's saving it for court. Or maybe the court itself, he, maybe the court itself will just simply look at it that way. You know, there is some, he goes into some of the case law with uh, uh, MVAC preservation. And then they argue that, that any type of DNA testing is going to cause some alteration or destruction of DNA evidence, which is generally true. However, uh, it's understood that there's enough, uh, that there's some risk there, there's some loss there, but it's balanced by some sort of gain. And it's not an all or nothing situation as MVAC seems to be, maybe it's not, but it seems to be. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a little bit different from getting a little bit, you know, there, there were some, particularly the blood pendant and the, West Memphis three case, the pendant that Eccles was wearing that had uh, two different uh, two different samplings of blood on it at the time of his arrest. One, one that matched him and another that matched Jason Baldwin and uh, Stevie Branch. Um, one sample uh, could, it could match either one of them. And of course, many, many other people. And of course, both of these, you know, those blood, those blood typings could match millions and millions and millions of other people. So it doesn't, it, it's hard, as far as blood type is concerned, it doesn't prove a whole lot. However, really good, a really good DNA test might, uh, might have uh, yielded better results. The, I don't know, if MVAC, and we'll, we won't know until it's done, and it probably will never be done, but what happens if MVAC goes in there and extracts DNA that couldn't have been extracted in, uh, 
1993 and 1994 and determine just who, who's that, whose blood that actually was. We won't know, though, because they're not even going to try to test the blood pendant. They're also not going to try to test the uh, stain on Stevie's pants. It almost certainly was a semen stain. And uh, newsflash, generally speaking, eight-year-old boys don't ejaculate uh, semen in, in enough quantity to leave a stain on their pants. They're not sexually mature, generally speaking, and nothing in the nothing in the uh, autopsy reports suggested that any of the boys were unusually sexually mature for their eight-year-old selves. They're little babies almost at that age. And he says, this case does not require the court to calibrate too precisely what degree of evidentiary alteration might be affected by the MVEC technology on the evidentiary items proposed for testing. This is because the case this case contains <coughs> six separate ligatures, not just one for potential testing. Two ligatures were used on each of the child's child victims, one to tie each victim's right ankle and right wrist together behind their backs and one to tie each victim's left ankle and left wrist together in the same way. Blah, 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 because the facts of this case present no reason to suggest that the killers handled the ligatures associated with one victim any differently than the others. Each of the ligatures should represent equal potential evidentiary value for MVAC processing. A lot of load of Hokum, I guess I'll say. Uh, the knots were seemed to be different. They were different in, in all three of the, you know, it seemed it, we had three different sets of laces and three different ways of tying those knots. Uh, that has generally been interpreted as three different people made those knots. So why wouldn't we get, if we're going to get DNA results, why wouldn't we get three different DNA results from three different sets of shoelaces? Which means that they don't present equal evidentiary value for MVAC processing. The court can says the court can order MVAC testing of any subset if it chooses of these ligatures evidence and still fully ensure the preservation of such ligature evidence for the future as well. In other words, they're go, they're saying, oh well, you know, we're not only not going to test all the all the evidence, we're not even going to test all the ligatures. They go into some of the uh, negative testing that occurred in the past uh, regarding the uh, DNA testing that yielded no results from any of the killing, any of the killers, as far as DNA evidence linking them to the crime scene in the past. There was DNA uh, found associated with the scene that they could not be ruled out from. It's just that they none of those 
samplings were conclusive enough to act actively and accurately point to them and just them. In other words, there was still a broad number of people, many, 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 many people who potentially could be linked to that DNA, who shared that those particular alleles of DNA. But it doesn't mean that the West Memphis Three were excluded, just that they, there was no DNA evidence that specifically and precisely linked any of the three to the to the killings uh and that's true for that's true and generally speaking there's no dna results from any of that dna testing that we know of that links anyone specifically specifically precisely to <coughs> the killings excuse me one reason I've one reason I've uh, not been podcasting so much is because I've had a recurrence of uh, this cough, which is uh, some of this has to do with uh, stress and so forth. But uh, I've, I've been going I've been, a lot of stuff's been going on. I'm not and I'm not complaining. It's been mostly good, but uh, I don't like to, I don't like to have to suffer through a podcast fighting a cough. And, uh, that's one reason I haven't been doing much podcasting. It's not the main reason. Um, and let's see what. I All right. This is Gary Meese with the case against. been quite a bit happening in the uh, West Memphis three case over the last month. And I'm frankly have been just sort of missing in action quite a bit of that time and for various reasons. Uh, I'm not going to get into explanations and I'm certainly not going to get into apologies for that, but, uh, I am going to try to catch up a little bit today. Uh, what we had after months and months of conversations um, about uh, the retesting of DNA evidence in the case and after the prosecuting attorney, Crespin said way back and I think it was April that, you know, if they, if the West Memphis three defense wants to have the evidence retested there, they need to file a petition with the court. In other words, they need to follow established legal procedures instead of the, this attempt to sort of work outside the bounds of the usual, the usual, uh, court proceedings. Uh, they need to file this petition. Well, they finally got around to it on January 24th. And, uh, it, it initially it's, it, it's very weak and legal argumentation for the necessity of this, um, this retesting. It goes over, uh, the petition goes over, uh, all the, all the promises that allegedly were made by Ellington, uh, as far as 
Scott Ellington, the former prosecuting attorney, about, you know, in, in retesting and so forth. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is uh, Keith Cressman, the new prosecuting attorney, isn't bound by any of the promises that uh, Scott Ellington made. Scott Ellington didn't seem bound by his own promises, but, you know, the guy's a weasel. So what do you expect? He, uh, he's, he's a judge now, and uh, maybe he'll be a better judge than he was a prosecutor. I don't know. Uh, but he, uh, he, he left, you know, this matter just sort of hanging with the, you know, he just sort of led the West Memphis three supporters on to think that something was actually going to happen. And then nothing ever happened with it and basically shut them out. So that this is all well established and, uh, and then we had the, the whole fiasco of Cressman stating that uh, to the defense that uh, some of the evidence may have gone missing or it was lost or misplaced or perhaps destroyed in a fire. And uh, so this went on for months with this, all this outrage on the internet from the supporters that uh, this is part of the, the so-called cover-up and part of the so-called corruption in, in the case. So, I, you know, um, I've never really seen any really good documentation about what this corruption that supposedly occurred in this case would be. Uh, some mistakes were made. Uh, the police investigation which they generally tried to correct. Um, and uh, obviously prosecutors, uh, some of their efforts at trial were less effective than, than others, other things that they tried as far as the presentation of the evidence. Um, Dale Griffiths being a notable example. Uh, but the the so-called occult expert, which I think he's probably was probably reasonably reasonably knowledgeable about the occult, but he was he was not a good witness. Uh, the only real function he actually served was to inform the uh, jurors about some aspects of of occult belief that perhaps had some bearing on the case, and certainly had some bearing on some statements that. Uh, Damien Eccles had made to prosecute uh, the police. And uh, so I guess he was, was perhaps slightly helpful in that way, but overall I would say his, his effect, the effect of his testimony was negative. It's certainly a public perception. So that was a mistake, but it's not corruption. It's just wasn't very, didn't work out very well. Uh, we finally found out back in December that indeed the uh, DNA, uh, the, the evidence in the case had not been uh, lost. Supposedly, some of it had been misfiled. We don't know what the details are on that. 
And among the items that supposedly were misfiled were the these all-important ligatures, basically the shoestrings that were used to bind the, uh, Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers, wrist to ankle. And then uh, that yielded the, the supporters' favorite piece of evidence for their current alternative, favorite alternative suspect, which would be Terry Hobbs, which is a, a hair that yielded some mitochondrial DNA that may or may not belong to, that may or may not be actual, uh, Terry Hobbs's actual mitochondrial DNA, may not be his hair. You know, it probably is. All three boys were in his house that afternoon been in his house on a number of other occasions. One of them lived with him. So uh, secondary transfer is certainly a possibility. Uh, if we had ever, ever actually seen how the hair looked in, in terms of uh, how it was, you know, suppose it was bound up in the, the knots, but I've never seen a photo of that. Uh, we don't really know how it was bound up in there. Uh, you know, I think it might raise a legitimate question, but the, uh, as far as, well, how did the hair get in there like that? But, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities, including the fact that, uh, you know, it could have, there's all sorts of possibilities with that. Uh, so, it certainly doesn't prove that he was involved in the murders in any in any way, and the evi the strongest evidence against that is not so much his own statements, but a combination of his own statements and uh, statements from David Jacoby and statements from other people who witnessed him during the search process that evening. And if you look at the totality of statements there, a lot of inconclusive times, but it, it, it does, there does not seem to even be uh, the possibility that he had time to perform the killings, even if for some wild reason he was actually doing that. I mean, how, you know, Jacoby describes Hobbes, uh, showing up at his house again and again, taking long, sl slow tours through the neighborhood, uh, looking for the boys during the time that they almost certainly were being killed. So unless you sub subscribe to some bizarre theories uh, about the disposition of the bodies and, uh, and that they were somehow deposited down a manhole cover or something and then uh, somebody went back there late at night, finished the job, and killed them, and deposited them in this uh, this little ditch. Then, uh, which I just find the whole all that to be totally absurd, uh, and there's no evidence of that. Uh, then you know, Hobbs is a suspect. It's just not. Is, is not 
a good suspect. He's not a feasible suspect. Plus, you have all this evidence against the West Memphis Three. You know, I've got now. I've gone off, gone off on one of my famous uh, tangents. Uh, so they found the ligatures, and they also that's all they want to test now is the ligatures. After all this talk about we're going to test all the evidence, we're going to get some conclusive results from DNA testing, and we're going to prove who actually committed these murders. This is the rhetoric that was coming from Bob Ruff and from a number of supporters. And uh, Eccles, uh, you know, is tossing it out there that, you know, he's going to prove he's that that this action, these actions or this testing is going to exonerate him and all this. Uh, all they're going to do is test the, the, the shoe, the shoelaces basically. Uh, why, why only the shoelaces? Well, you know, for one thing, there's probably a fairly good chance they're going to come up with somebody else's either Terry Hobbs's DNA on there from, handled a shoelace or uh, somebody else's, some other parent's DNA from when they tied one of the boy's shoes or, or some unknown DNA profile that they may not be able to tie to anybody. There's a good possibility of that. I think there's also just a very good possibility that we're, we're going to have one of these cases where uh, the guilty parties demand DNA testing, and it comes back, and it shows that the guilty parties are the guilty parties. Those cases are not unusual. Uh, when you have somebody as arrogant as Damien Eccles, then you have a, a strong, strong possibility that he simply going to, you know, roll the dice and hope that somehow his DNA isn't going to show up on there and somebody else's DNA will, and that'll make them look really bad and make him look really good. But the fact is, is if, if none of the, if, the fact is, is if none of the DNA of the West Memphis Three shows up any of the shoelaces, it does raise a question, why, why not? Why wouldn't some of their DNA show up in the shoelaces? Well, you know, again, uh, lack of DNA doesn't prove anything other than lack of DNA. Uh, seems, it seems like with the quality of extraction with the MVAC testing, if it's as good as they say, it does seem as if that would yield some results that if... The, Results that if the West Memphis, any of the West Memphis Three handled the shoelaces, then it seems like there's a really strong likelihood that their DNA would show up on the shoelaces. Uh, so it does raise the question: Why would they push for this? Well, I, I think they're they're pushing for this partially because I don't think they think they're going to be successful. They're also using this to raise money, raise support. Uh, uh, get the supporters all wound up and if their DNA does show up then they can claim that the police uh, planted the evidence you know very much as supporters of D Stephen Avery have claimed in his case so DNA 
you know, DNA is uh, a very good uh, forensic tool, but uh, <coughs> we've already seen how that can be spun around and um, suddenly, uh, even when the guilty party's DNA actually shows up on a relevant piece of evidence, the supporters of which are in whichever case can claim, oh, well, that they didn't really leave it there. The police planted it. Uh, there's been no evidence up to this point that the police have planted any kind of evidence in the West Memphis 3 case, just, just to be clear about that. Uh, the petition on the January 24th petition uh, makes a pretty good argument that the MVAC uh, collection method is a very effective method, and it does seem to be that way. Maybe a little too effective, as we'll, as we'll see as we go on with this. Um, what we don't what we don't address are in, in this petition is the utter lack of timeliness and seeking a relief. Uh, there's a three-year limitation. Uh, and it's been ten it's been over ten years since they pleaded guilty. MVAC was, again, we'll get into some of this about how new is MVAC. Well, the defense is not not just here, but in the later argumentation. They, the defense is arguing that it's, it's well established as a scientific method in the court system, but it's very hard to find cases in which... I'm not saying they don't exist. They do exist, but it's hard to find many cases in which MVAC collection has played a significant role. Um, uh, is it, uh, is, does Arkansas regard it as a valid method of DNA extraction, uh, suitable that would, new enough to justify retesting evidence in a case that's, basically been closed for 10 years it seems to my mind it seems unlikely that the court system would go for this uh, we do know that uh, as early as 2012 uh, the insiders in the forensic world understood that MVAC was a, a very good method of extracting DNA uh, so how new it was, so it was new then, but it was already known, a known quantity. Was it known at the time, was it known as a good method of DNA extraction at the time of the guilty pleas in August of 2011? It's not clear. It really isn't. I've, tr I've tried to find solid information on this. MVAC's 
own web pages don't yield really good information as far as timelines. Uh, tried to find court cases that uh, relevant court cases, and they all come up uh, later than 2011. But uh, what well, it would seem to have been a known quantity as early as 2012 enough to show up in official forensic reports uh, to, uh, to, you know, research type uh, presentations. Uh, so, you know, it was known. And so a lot of it depends on what's presented to the courts and, and, and how it's presented to the courts. Uh, anyway, it's a very weak, very weak argument uh, initially from the defense. Um, basically sort of whining again about the missing evidence and uh, how they've been mistreated by a prosecuting attorney and so forth. It's not, they don't really address what to me is the primary issue with this whole thing, which is that uh, Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Skelly all signed away their rights to petition the courts in this matter in 2011. If evidence that had if there had been some significant new development, such as actually missing evidence, evidence that was actually missing prior to the guilty plea, uh, I can see how that, I, I think that could open a door to uh, justify a, a petition for another look at the case. But, you know, the fact is, is the evidence has been there all along. Some of it apparently was misfiled somehow. What's the details on that? We don't know. Uh, presumably, they'll get to it into it in the courts, but who knows exactly? Now, what followed after that was um, the reply from the prosecution. Keith Cressman. Cressman had thirty days to reply. It didn't take 30 days to reply. He replied in let's see when did he filed it on February 8th. Part of what uh, the we get into one of these legal arguments here that I won't pretend to be able to say who's right and who's wrong. Uh, but uh, a, part of Cressman's argument against the petition is that, that it was filed in the wrong court, that the defendant's murder conviction was uh, entered in Craighead County. Uh, they filed this petition in Crittenden County Therefore, that's a fatal error in terms of legal proceedings uh, because the any hearing must be held in the court in which the conviction was entered. Uh, and uh, further, it further argues because the habeas corpus argument does, isn't really an available remedy because uh, you have to have somebody in custody to bring to court to have a habeas corpus uh, action. 
and nobody's nobody's sitting in jail in the West Memphis uh, three case. Have nobody's been there for ten years. Now, the defense responds that getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the defense responds that uh, the court the uh, petition was filed properly because the initial conv murder conviction by jury was in Craighead County, but uh, the actual guilty pleas were made under the jurisdiction of Crittenden County. Therefore, it, it was filed and the, their petition was filed in the proper court. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not an attorney and I don't know how, I don't pretend to understand all the legal ramifications of that. Initially, it looked like a really dumb move for Binka, Patrick Binka, the def main defense attorney involved in this at this point to uh, file a petition in the wrong court. Uh, Maybe it wasn't so stupid after all. I have a feeling Cressman knows what he's talking about. I don't have, Binka doesn't seem to be highly competent in this area, or maybe he's faking incompetence because he really doesn't really want this thing to move forward. It, it's just a PR stunt, which is more what I believe than anything else. It's a PR stunt, all of this. Uh, now, it goes on. Uh, it goes on to say that uh, there's some other things that have to be determined: whether MBAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method, and whether it violates the requirement that the physical evidence in violent of offense cases must be preserved. Uh, I think when we get to the generally accepted scientific testing method, I think that's a, a fairly high bar uh, in the Arkansas courts because um, it, it's it's new, but it's not that new. It's just you know it's it hasn't been used a great deal there, if at all. So. Uh, it really hasn't been tested in the courts as far as I know and can determine, um, which means that it's, is it generally accepted or not? Uh, it's, it's, it's a question that the court will have to resolve. I, and I, I don't know which way the court would go. I would tend to think that they would say, mm, you know, we don't really know that much about this. The bigger problem to me seems to be the, requirement that the physical evidence and violence it violates the use of this technique would violate the requirement that physical evidence and violent offense cases must be preserved uh, by its very nature MBAC seems to be so thorough that it basically collects all this DNA evidence and uh, it's, it's a one-shot deal you get all this DNA result, but you don't. You can't go back and redo that again, and come up with uh, uh, 
come up with a bunch of new DNA to be tested under some sort of new technique, which may or may not exist in the future. So, and let's let's presume that, pro, that DNA uh, testing and so forth is continued to go is going to continue to be more sophisticated. Uh, I don't know what the limits of the science are, and I suspect they're coming close to the practical limits. But uh, uh, you know, I'm again, I don't know that for an absolute fact. <coughs> I just haven't heard anything particularly new lately uh, concerning, wow, we've got some new way of testing DNA that's really going to yield new results. It's basically uh, basically A is A and B is B and C and C and here it is. Um, Cressman's Petition uh, answer says the general case law search reveals only two cases in which courts mention MVAC, and neither cases case discusses where MVAC uses scientifically sound methods consistent with forensic practices. Nor does defendant provide proof that MVAC is a generally accepted scientific testing method. Until defendant provides this proof, the, the, case, the court can't grant his request. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is it. Uh, Benka has not really provided a lot of really great information that the court can go on to make a determination about whether MBAC is a valid testing method. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't, I, the, is the courts expected to do its own research about this? I think that they would to a point. But uh, apparently there's not a lot of research results out there. So, uh, you know, it doesn't look good in that respect. The other thing is, is you know, and we get into this thing that the, this is interesting in that the, the, the state requirement is that physical evidence must be preserved <coughs> in a, uh, in these violent offensive offenses, these violent offense cases. Uh, if MBAC is so thorough, it basically doesn't preserve the DNA evidence uh, just by the very nature of its extraction method. Uh, the irony here, of course, is that the, what the defense has been making this big deal about how that the um, police and the prosecutors and so forth didn't preserve the evidence. They were making a big deal about this for months and months and months. And what turns out that they did preserve it. But uh, prosecutors basically flipping back that argue, argument on, uh, on the defense and saying, you know, this argument about preservation of evidence still holds even when it doesn't run in your favor. Uh, Further complicating this is, you know, you've got two other defendants in this case, two other uh, convicted in this case. They're really, they're no longer defendants anymore. They are the convicted, uh, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miskelly Jr., who gave lip service 
and not in a real enthusiastic way to uh, Bob Bob Ruff's pleas to uh, approve retesting. And uh, Miss Kelly's been silent on that since, as usual. And uh, Baldwin's been noticeably quiet uh, for the most part about all of this. For somebody who's supposedly fighting for justice down in Austin, Texas, uh, in his own, and supposedly fighting for his own case, he really hasn't. He's really not been very uh, pushy about. He hasn't been the least bit aggressive at all about whether this is going to go. He wants this done as far as this retesting. I think he may know that the results may not be what he. That we would hope for, he would hope for. I, I wouldn't hope for. The uh, except when a, this is what the code says. Except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing to demonstrate the person's actual innocence if. The proposed testing is reasonable in scope, uses scientifically sound methods, and is consistent with accepted forensic practices. It's not clear that the what the what the uh, defense is seeking is reasonable in scope. It's not clear that it uses scientifically sound methods, and it's not clear that it's consistent with accepted forensic practices. Uh, Cressman argues that failure to uh, preserve this evidence is in itself a crime and that the MVAC appears to violate this requirement. Is this all true? Is it, is it a one-shot deal, as he puts it? I, I, I think so. Uh, the defense is going to come back and say, well, you know, it's... Yeah, but we're not really, you know, we're gonna we were gonna test everything, and now we're gonna be very selective about what we test. Uh, I can, you know, I can almost see them just testing uh, one shoelace that just happens to be a shoelace that uh, where there was a hair found that may or may not belong to Terry Hobbs, and they're just sort of hoping that maybe none of the West Memphis Three's DNA shows up on that, and maybe just maybe some. DNA from Terry Hobbs shows up on that so that they can make a big deal about uh, Terry Hobbs being the the clear suspect in the case for, you know, for the next 20 years. Uh, uh, you know, I can, I can almost see that happening. Uh, if they're not going to test even all the shoelaces, then we're really going to have a problem. I'm going to have a real problem with taking any of this very seriously. But I don't think there are any retestings going to happen, to be clear. <coughs> and the defendant must show that the proposed testing's new evidence would establish actual innocence. Testing. Uh, testing must establish actual innocence and uh, testing that would only support uh, theoretical defense is insufficient. Further testing must instead provide material relevant, relevant 
uh, evidence that significantly advanced defendant's innocent claim in light of all the evidence presented to the jury. Uh, yeah, I just don't see, again, I don't see a, a, a strong claim of actual innocence uh, being presented here. They're just basically um, hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe some result will show something that might just might somehow mitigate their guilt. Uh, the, the petitioner must identify how the requested testing would establish the actual innocence of the person in relation to the offense being challenged. Uh, the defense's petition does not do that. It does not identify how the requested testing would establish actual innocence. Uh, they cite... They, they cite some of the facts in the case. Crossman does. Defendant knew facts about the murders the general public didn't know. During cross-examination, admitted that his claim that he learned the facts about the case from the newspaper was false. Fibers found on the victim's clothes were microscopically similar to clothing found in defendant's home. Accomplice testimony detailed uh, defendant's involvement. Uh, multiple witnesses testified that defendant confessed to the killings. Multiple witnesses testified that defendant was near the crime scene at the time of the murders. And given this trial evidence and other person's DNA at the crime scene wouldn't prove the defendant innocent. So the court can't grant his petition. You know, I, I, I could argue there's uh, other, I, there is, I don't even need to argue it. There is other evidence pointing to Eccles guilt, including evidence at trial, but they hit some of the high points here. Uh, the many confessions of Jesse Miskelly are on the record and the courts can look at those and determine, well, you know, we've got these official confessions over and over and over again from this, this, uh, other, the other defendant pointing out Eccles' involvement in the killings. Uh, the confessions are reasonably credible. They're not without problems, but they're reasonably credible. They're fairly consistent. And the, again, it's, uh, Ms. Kelly also demonstrated special knowledge uh, about the, the the crimes that he wouldn't have been available to anybody who wasn't actually involved in the murders. So you have Eccles involved in both having special knowledge that really nobody else should have concerning what actually happened with the murders. Now, okay. And finally, Cressman points out that uh, 
the Arkansas statutes require that the petitioner advance a theory of defense that established actual innocence within a 36-month limitations period. Obviously, the a week or so later, uh, Binka filed a response to uh, Cressman's response. Or, or this is a reply memorandum in support of petition to conduct additional DNA testing. He, as I said, he makes he makes an argument that uh, that it that his petition was filed in the correct court. What uh, that's something the courts can decide. I have no idea at this point. Uh, Binka makes an argument that. Uh, the prosecutor's argument against the habeas corpus ruling doesn't make any sense because uh, a conviction has consequences beyond just merely being held in jail. Uh, yeah, and it's true that uh, being convicted of a crime has those kind of consequences. Does it? Does it give you? Uh, does it give you access to habeas corpus relief? I don't really know that that's the case. I mean, I'm not, an, again, I'm not an attorney, I think, but I do think that's fairly specific. And on top of that, we're not talking about a conviction by jury. We're talking about they were convicted by jury and then they pleaded guilty. So nobody made them plead guilty. So they willingly took that upon themselves as part of a plea deal. And uh, so if they have negative consequences from their guilty plea of murder in their own lives, then that's just part of the consequence of being a murderer. The courts aren't under any obligation to provide relief to ch child murderers just because it gives them a bad reputation. He uh, tries to get around this idea that it's uh, that the F, part of what he does is is he cites and in terms of the scientifically valid method of, of DNA extract, extraction being uh, being part of. Uh, the MVAC technique that it's uh, that a research study by the FBI uh, backs this up, but just because the FBI does a research study doesn't mean that that's a generally accepted legal view. Uh, as I said earlier, there was some friends, there was some report to forensic sciences back in 2012 that it was a good and uh, a, a very good uh, system of DNA extraction. It doesn't mean that that became the general scientific 
consensus at that point. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that's the case even now. And the argument that the MVAC laboratories have created the same level of forensic standards as the Arkansas State Crime Laboratory, you know, again, it, it get, you get into uh, get into uh, how valid is that concerning the court's general assessment of it as a general scientific method. I'm not really sure how relevant it is. And I'm, I'm saying an awful lot of things about me not being really sure because I'm not really, I'm not really sure. The court is going to have to look at all this. They're going to have to present a lot more and a lot better information than has been presented uh, on both sides, really, uh, before the court can make, I would think, before the court can make a valid ruling on this. If the court just if the court decides to let this go ahead, it doesn't just simply throw it out because uh, it's an invalid petition on the face of it because Eccles has signed away his rights to file such petitions, which is my contention. And I'm not sure why Cressman doesn't go that route with this. Maybe he's saving it for court. Or maybe the court itself, he, maybe the court itself will just simply look at it that way. You know, there is some, he goes into some of the case law with uh, uh, MVAC preservation. And then they argue that, that any type of DNA testing is going to cause some alteration or destruction of DNA evidence, which is generally true. However, uh, it's understood that there's enough uh, that there's some risk there, there's some loss there, but it's balanced by some sort of gain, and it's not an all or nothing situation as MVAC seems to be. Maybe it's not, but it seems to be. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a little bit different from getting a little bit. You know, there there were some, particularly the blood pendant and the West Memphis three case, the pendant that Eccles was wearing that had uh, two different uh, two different samplings of blood on it at the time of his arrest. One, one that matched him and another that matched Jason Baldwin and uh, Stevie Branch. Um, one sample uh, could it could match either one of them and of course many many other people and of course both of these you know those blood those blood typings could match millions and millions and millions of other people so it doesn't it, it's hard, as far as blood type is concerned it doesn't prove a whole lot however really good a really good dna test might uh, might have uh, yielded better results the i don't know if MVAC, and we'll, we won't know until it's done, and it probably will never be done, but what happens if MVAC goes in there and extracts DNA that couldn't have been extracted in uh, 
1993 and 1994 and determine just who, who's that, whose blood that actually was. We won't know, though, because they're not even going to try to test the blood pendant. They're also not going to try to test the uh, stain on Stevie's pants. It almost certainly was a semen stain. And uh, newsflash, generally speaking, eight-year-old boys don't ejaculate uh, semen in, in enough quantity to leave a stain on their pants. They're not sexually mature, generally speaking, and nothing in the nothing in the uh, autopsy reports suggested that any of the boys were unusually sexually mature for their eight-year-old selves. They're little babies almost at that age. And he says, this case does not require the court to calibrate too precisely what degree of evidentiary alteration might be affected by the MVEC technology on the evidentiary items proposed for testing. This is because the case can, this case contains <coughs> six separate ligatures, not just one for potential testing. Two ligatures were used on each of the child's child victims, one to tie each victim's right ankle and right wrist together behind their backs and one to tie each victim's left ankle and left wrist together in the same way. Blah, 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 because the facts of this case present no reason to suggest that the killers handled the ligatures associated with one victim any differently than the others. Each of the ligatures should represent equal potential evidentiary value for MVAC processing. What a load of hokum, I guess I'll say. Uh, the knots were seemed to be different. They were different in, in all three of the, you know, it seemed it, we had three different sets of laces and three different ways of tying those knots. Uh, that has generally been interpreted as three different people made those knots. So why wouldn't we get, if we're going to get DNA results, why wouldn't we get three different DNA results from three different sets of shoelaces? Which means that they don't present equal evidentiary value for MVAC processing. The court can says the court can order MVAC testing of any subset if it chooses of these ligatures evidence and still fully ensure the preservation of such ligature evidence for the future as well. In other words, they're go, they're saying, oh well, you know, we're not only not going to test all the all the evidence, we're not even going to test all the ligatures. They go into some of the uh, negative testing that occurred in the past uh, regarding the uh, DNA testing that yielded no results from any of the killing, any of the killers, as far as DNA evidence linking them to the crime scene in the past. There was DNA uh, found associated with the scene that they could not be ruled out from. It's just that they none of those 
samplings were conclusive enough to act actively and accurately point to them and just them. In other words, there was still a broad number of people, many, 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 many people who potentially could be linked to that DNA, who shared that those particular alleles of DNA. But it doesn't mean that the West Memphis Three were excluded, just that they, there was no DNA evidence that specifically and precisely linked any of the three to the, to the killings. Uh, and that's true for, that's true. And generally speaking, there's no DNA results from any of that DNA testing that we know of that links anyone specifically, specifically, precisely to <coughs> the killings. Excuse me. One reason I've one reason I've uh, not been podcasting so much is because I've had a recurrence of uh, this cough, which is uh, some of this has to do with uh, stress and so forth. But uh, I've, I've been going. I've been, a lot of stuff's been going on. I'm not, and I'm not complaining. It's been mostly good. But uh, I don't like. To, I don't like to have to suffer through a podcast fighting a cough. And, uh, that's one reason I haven't been doing much podcasting. It's not the main reason. Um, and let's see what, You know, um, I think that's all I'm going to get into today. Uh, my throat's driving me slightly crazy, and I think I've covered the main points. Uh, I hope to get back into a little more disciplined and regular uh, podcasting of developments in this case. I am not going to continue to uh, simply read uh excerpts or whole chapters from my books and, and comment as I go along. Uh, I've basically done that and, and, uh, done it to death, I think. Uh, and, uh, there are, there are other materials related to the case that I may delve into from time to time. Um, there's a, really a wealth of material there, but you know, a lot of it's somewhat peripheral in terms of interest, but, uh, uh, you know, it's in, in the interest. It, some of it's very interesting, and uh, it, it would be worthwhile getting into. Um, and you know, frankly, I'm I'm going to apologize, and, and I think I've done a really, I think I've done a pretty poor presentation today. But uh, I'm still still struggling with uh, some technical problems, some minor health issues and uh, just the wealth of material that, that I'm tr trying to process all at once into a relatively brief podcast. Anyway, thank you. <laughs>